0: This is Film Tank, Tank, Tank,
1: Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no trouble. Oh, I don't
2: know if it's on, I like it. You know, we sit here like a couple
0: of regular fellas. We're about to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way he said. Poor baby is starting to lose
2: her. They won't know what they're looking at or why they like it, but they'll.
3: Hello there again, everyone, and welcome in to actually episode 210 this time, oh. as I mistakenly said episode 210 in front of the Parasite episode, and that it in fact was episode 209, and I have now taken care of that air. It's okay, Anyways, forgive you. Thank you very much, Toussaint. Anyways, this in fact is episode 210, uh, and I am Alex Diekman, along with Tucson Egan, who you already heard from. Hello, thank
1: you for having me absolutely well it's not really having you you're a part of this every week i know but it still feels like such a privilege to be able to share this podcast with you too oh
3: it's getting to be that time of year when yeah. the feelings come out yeah <laughs> nick cheney as always Hello, here as man. well hi oh, most of the time
0: uh almost every episode every episode except for the baseball episode okay not that I'm counting. Um, I just want to say, since you're offering corrections, I will very quickly offer corrections for things I've said uh, oh boy. in the last Get the month of episodes. Okay. okay. First of all, I don't think white people have it bad. Uh, <laughs> second of what all, are you doing? Um, I, what happened
1: when I was gone? <laughs>
0: oh boy oh man it's, it's so weird heard those episodes, what i will not up say yet. and what i will not say when there's a the black man in the room or not it's, oh my god Nick. it's like you're my moral <laughs> conscience you can't leave me
1: yeah i'm like jimmy carter <laughs> <Kirk. laughs>
0: i'm kidding about that comment at least um <laughs> I will offer two corrections on my part. I randomly said Devin Sawa in one episode, <laughs> being in the Sean Byrne movie. I was thinking of other 90s hunks, uh, Ethan Embry. Okay. And also, I will correct the fact that I was talking about the Wicker Man when we were talking about our favorite horror scenes. And mm-hmm. I said Anita Ekberg instead of Britt Eklund, which a friend of the show, Sarah from Minnesota, pointed out. Um, which kind of makes me like her a little less as a person and as a friend for, you know, correcting me like that. But, but you know, it has to be said, so, you know, if this is what you want, Sarah. Thank you,
3: Sarah. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that's pretty great. So uh, on this episode, we are going to talk about the newly released Martin Scorsese film, The Irishman. I don't think that I have to really state that much that I am super pumped to talk about this, and I am leading the charge on this being an episode we're doing. Uh, I think that'll probably be very apparent when we actually start talking about the film. Mm -hmm. But we all got together and watched this and made a whole evening out of it, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, But first, let's do a little week in review. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. So who wants to go
0: first? I can. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Excuse me. So sorry. Uh, Well, uh, kind of uh, going along with the theme of this episode in that we're about to later on talk about a movie that's a very controversial uh, Netflix uh, production in the sense that, you know, people are dredging up the conversation of what you should see in theaters versus what you should watch at home. I went to the theater Ooh. to see a different Netflix production oh. screened on 35 millimeter, um, which was Noah Baumbach's new film *Marriage Story*. Ah.
3: <laughs> The reactions are just. This
1: is I, I honestly didn't know what film you were talking about until you said it. So. Yep,
0: yeah. and uh, this is the one that stars Adam Driver and mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson. All those names. Yeah, and Devin Sawa and Anita Ekberg. Oh god, fuck you, Sarah. And um, this is about a married couple <laughs> as they are getting a divorce. <laughs> so it, uh, you know, the title is very ironic because deliberately so. Uh, Yes. and But I don't think it's actually misleading. Um, I think part of the genius of the structure of the film is that without showing any flashbacks, we genuinely do get a sense of what their marriage is like um, in good and in bad. Um, and we see what drew them to each other and obviously what drove them apart. But we see all that as they're facing the separation and, and their way out, so to speak. And you know, there's going to be always talk whenever a movie like this comes out as to if the scales are balanced. You know, are we seeing more from one person's perspective? Is one person more justified in their actions? You know, who won? Well, and I think that's actually usually a point of topic, even in the best example. Well, Things like these. Kramer versus
3: Kramer, yeah, like that yeah.
0: exactly, and. I actually think this movie did a pretty good job. I think it is not... I think it's transparent that it is from Charlie's point of view, played by Adam Driver, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that the sympathy lies solely with him or that he is in any way the moral center of the movie. I think it's more just Noah Bombach tipping his hand that he's a male, so he's technically writing it from that point of view. I was going to say,
3: it's coming from a male perspective anyways,
0: from a script point of view. But incredibly generous and if not I think the other person was slightly more sympathetic at times and mm. so um I very much enjoyed it the two performances here are fantastic Adam Driver is as always amazing and he's No different in here. Uh, He at one point sings a Sondheim song, one of the best Stephen Sondheim songs ever written. Uh, Unlike Joker,
3: is it better than the Joker performance? Where it actually
0: makes sense as to (laughs) a why he would know the every lyric to the song, and b why he would sing it at the moment he does in Mm. a public setting. Um, I mean, come on, Send in the Clowns is not even fucking about clowns. I just that movie. Okay,
1: anyway. We
0: don't need to go. We've back already, there. We've yeah, the, uh, we did. Yeah, but listen uh, to our
1: Joker episode if you'd like to learn more. That's true. Mm-hmm.
0: But um, he's fantastic. Scarlett Johansson this is probably the best role she's ever done. I think, Ooh. other than maybe Under the Skin, but that's like such a say different. She's
3: better than I mean, I guess she's not, especially since it's Woody Allen, not as good. But I feel like she's pretty solid in Match Point too. But. Oh,
0: she's fantastic in that, mm-hmm. but. Woody directing her mm-hmm. is in no way favorable to her acting talent, I think, mm-hmm. than someone uh, like Noah Baumbach. That's pretty much where my preference yeah. was coming from. absolutely. <laughs> and, um, and that's one of my all-time favorite movies. But, mm-hmm. uh, no, Marriage Story is amazing. It's beautiful. If you get a chance to watch it on Netflix, I absolutely recommend everybody give it a try, even if you've never watched a Noah Baumbach and film. that...
3: that... It'll probably be out after this episode is dropped, because that's yes, early December, early right? December. Yeah. It's
0: only in a limited run for a couple of weeks, and I was lucky enough to go catch it at the Music Box Theater here in Chicago. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, I got to say, it's one of those things where um, the other great thing, before I pass it off, is that the supporting cast is great. Um, I did, actually did not know who was in it beyond the two, because I didn't look that hard into it. But the lawyers, there are three lawyers that crop up at various points, are all and they're probably the only other important characters in this Hmm. story because that's literally the whole structure of the movie is the ongoing kind of legal mediation between these two people and how that system completely dehumanizes both people and both parties at the table while also threatens to undermine what good that was shared in a marriage you know what i mean it's basically threatens to rewrite the narrative in a way that is not fair to either person and it's a very ugly system and um while maybe necessary from a one-sided point of view uh You know, there's got to be a better way, and until we find it, it's just gonna break a lot of people, and uh, a lot of therapy bills are gonna be needed. I think, even when two people have the best intentions at heart. Uh, But the three lawyers really quick are played uh, by, in order of like screen time, most to least: uh, Laura Dern, who's fantastic in here. She's probably the funniest character in the movie because she kind of has this very. Feminist empowered swagger to her that totally owns any room she's in, but also goes a little overboard in some scenes. When even uh, Nicole is like, "I don't know that I consider Charlie to be that bad," <laughs> and she and she like, "That's not a, you know, a perspective we can have if this is what we're doing, you know, whatever." Um, and then, so is
3: she? Because here's the thing, and yeah. I, I'm guessing that maybe from the way you're explaining her character, this becomes a thing. But in terms of lawyers muddying the waters, trying to push their uh,
0: uh, bottom line up a bit. Oh, absolutely. That is pretty much what, you know, a lot of what's happening at the worst of these two people uh, happens when they're silent at the table, you know, and the lawyers are taking secondhand accounts Mm. from the people, which are technical, technically true stories. But are missing of... any context of a real life humanity lived within, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and so uh, uh, Adam Driver's uh, Charlie's lawyers are. There's two of them that he goes to me. One is played by Ray Liotta, oh. which I haven't seen in forever, and he's fantastic in this. He has not skipped a beat, and he's the very cutthroat. Uh, male lawyer but before he goes to him he does meet with a very grandfatherly and just too nice lawyer played by alan alda and he's fantastic too he is maybe one of the funniest lines of the whole movie when charlie's like talking to him and they're not doing very well during one of the uh, mediation meetings and so they take a sidebar and he's like and Alan Holda goes, you know, if I was defending you, and Charlie's like, you are defending me. He's like, no, I know, but if I was. And, and he just continues to talk. And, mm. and So anyway, it's a funny movie. It's a heartbreaking movie, but definitely it's not a depressing one by the very end. Uh, it's, there's no Hollywood reconciliation or anything like that, but you do genuinely feel that maybe these people are going to be in a better uh, space once they've got through everything that they... I don't know that they had to do because some of it goes a little too far, which is the point, but that they're going to learn from this as they move forward. And it's a very touching story. Hmm. So two
3: things. Yes. One kind of random, but Ray Liotta is great in killing them softly. Oh yeah. And especially when he, when the story is being recounted about, uh, um, him explaining to all of his gangster friends about how he ripped off the one guy and how he's like, yeah, it was me. Everyone thinks it was this person, but it was actually me. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's such a mistake.
0: Yeah, yeah, you should no. do that. Ray Liotta in this movie is so great, and I'm just it mostly because he's not in a Shantix commercial. So that's yeah, good. he's uh, he's stepping a little bit above that in this <laughs> in this picture. You know, I almost like didn't say that he was in this movie. Well, not that he was in it, but. A lot of people are calling his character a spoiler because the structure of this movie is such so that Charlie and uh Nicole have to go see different lawyers, obviously, so that way they can be represented and have a meetup. So the whole idea is that Charlie goes sees Ray Liotta first and he's like, This is not what I want because he's too cutthroat and he does whereas Nicole goes to see Laura Dern and Laura Dern basically kind of manipulates her into, like, this is what you want, whatever. Mm. And so, Alan, then he goes to Alan Alda. So, the two of them are not matched whatsoever. So, a lot of people are taking the fact that halfway through the movie, Charlie very unceremoniously fires Alan Alda. In fact, it happens in a scene you don't see, so that the next time he shows up to court, it's kind of a surprise that okay Ray is just there and I don't believe that that's a spoiler myself so sorry if I ruined it for everybody because I just think the drama is way more than plot twists like that I mean there's a million things going on in this movie on a mm. character level and that's really why anybody should watch it but I will say that that's kind of like a lot of people point to that as the ground zero of like Charlie's ultimate like mistake and like when he lost the upper hand of like having any moral because of how much he cites it in the beginning as like not wanting to be that guy but I think you can watch the movie and also see what other choices you have you know mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to watching it I recommend
3: it and with that being said uh I will ask this uh, is you are a single person yes not married at least and I am a married person correct so uh even though myself and my wife Emily uh, I believe, have a very happy, um, uh, healthy
0: marriage. I believe it, too. Do you th- <laughs>
3: I believe. Do, do you think this would be uncomfortable for married people to watch? So,
0: that's the other thing, is that I think some movies like this definitely are. I think mm-hmm. this one is ultimately good and not good enough, but uh, supersedes that question where there's no way a married couple can watch it and not have a conversation. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's going to be naturally antagonistic. Um, Questioning
3: your own...
0: Yeah, because eh. this is a... It gets at a lot of truths about marriage, at least I believe it does, Mm -hmm. you know. uh, But it's also an ultra-specific story that hinges on a lot of things that don't come up all the time during marriages. One of the biggest... uh, contesting things between the two of them is one wants to live in one state and the other one wants to live in another state ah. for various reasons and for good reasons. So, like, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of stakes here, but there's much more than just two people who can't sit on the couch next to each other, and, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. It's it's more just that two people have two different lives that never maybe should have,
3: Okay, you know, whatever. Well, then that, that feels more... Like there's an actual reason why this is happening and not just... Right, exactly. Something set them off and now they're in divorce proceedings. Oh,
0: for sure. But there's definitely never any doubt that they loved each other for good reason at Ah. at one point. Okay. So I would say there are much more uncomfortable marriage movies out there. Mm. One amazing one is called 45 Years by the director, Andrew Hay.
3: I've heard of that and Emily has said she's wanted to watch that and I've been a little...
0: Oh man, please hesitant? do watch it with her. Let you can borrow it. Let me know. Okay. Okay. That is my personal nightmare. <laughs> because show it Rampling, I won't spoil anything about it, mm-hmm. but the final scene is a shot of her face. Mm-hmm. Uh or at least her face is in the shot, I should say. And her acting in that shot alone, besides the fact that the movie's very good up until that point. Um if I'm ever in a situation where someone's making that face and there's a shotgun nearby, I will blow my fucking brains out because no one deserves that. Mm. Uh, I don't mean deserves to look at. It. I mean just like... <laughs> no
1: one deserves to, to look that. to To
0: have someone be in your life that you made felt feel that way. Mm.
1: Damn.
0: It It is... Uh, that's an uncomfortable movie mm. in the most amazing way possible.
3: Mm. Okay. So... Uh, I think I will take Please the on. I, I may at some point. We'll see. Uh, since you were talking about Adam Driver, I will go next and talk about an Adam Driver film I just watched, which is the Scott Z. Burns film The Report, uh, which is basically surrounding the torture report uh, that was put out by um, the Senate. In 2014, I believe. Anyways, so Adam Driver plays uh, a real life person named Daniel Jones, uh, who's basically just a staffer looking to cut his teeth, and is involved. Oh, does he? Mm, yeah, uh, he's involved in various different. And there, there's a real nice, brief, like ten minute overview of his career before hmm. he got involved uh, in the torture report. Anyways, um, so you see his initial reaction with John Hamm. You see his initial reaction with Annette Benning, who is playing Diane Feinstein in this film, uh, and how he ends up in the situation to be the one leading the report. Uh, so this film debuted at Sundance earlier this year and got a very good reaction uh, from the things I read uh, when this was there in January of 2019. Uh, So I was on my radar early on this year. Uh, I was interested. I, for the most part, like Adam Driver as an actor. Um, And the content here was interesting to me, specifically because anything involving the idea of um, admission of incorrect Policy, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but anyways, just this idea of going back and doing some sort of self self evaluation at some point. Which Did is, I
1: really need to break that suspect's legs.
3: Well, I, I especially in this because the idea of the government being run like a business is really, especially in this era of how businesses are run, is just so horrifying. Yeah. Um, the idea of, well, we only want positive energy, everybody is on the same page, and no one's allowed to have a thought, and we're just going to stick with this, uh, no matter what. Synergy. Yeah. Isn't that called groupthink? Um, Isn't that what led to the Challenger explosion? That's one way to look at it, Toussaint. Uh, Some people I would call it I would say loyalty. That is, that is the oh, way to look at it. <laughs> So anyways, this film basically just outlines him and his, basically, involvement with the torture report, and as it is called in the film, the actual title of the film is The Report. Uh, as The The Redacted redacted Report. Torture uh, from the actual title is actually pretty good and pretty effective, I think. Uh, And... Adam Driver is giving a really solid performance in this film, and other people are good here, like Annette Benning, as I previously mentioned, and there are some other actors who show up who are also quite good as well, uh, like John Hamm. I was going to say,
0: did you enjoy him in it?
3: He was okay. He's definitely a super minor character. I wouldn't put him on cameo level. But, but he's definitely. got about four and a half minutes kind of screen of time. Kind like
0: Tracy Letts showing up for Ford versus Ferrari, despite the fact that the trailer kind of made it look like he would maybe yeah. be a driving
1: force. Which there's quite a uh, bit of that. Driving force. Because, I get it. It's a good pun.
3: Uh, if you look on paper, this film has got a knockout. I didn't mean to change gears, sorry. Oh, son of a bitch. This film's got a knockout cast on paper because it has Adam Driver, Annette Benning, John Hamm, Corey Stoll. Oh, um, it, it's it's really solid. Yeah. Michael C. Hall makes Ooh. an appearance here. Yeah, I Ooh. know. My goodness. Yeah. So it's The whitest
0: cast I've ever heard. <laughs> well, there's a lot of like white people in <laughs> no, Washington. Just all those people just Adam for some weird reason strike me as like looks wise as like just the most bland white mm-hmm. people ever. And. They're all very talented. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so a, just what? Have to couch that. They're, they're all both be,
1: talented. They're all very talented and also very, very, very pale. Almost translucent. They you might are say.
0: Gorgeous because they're in Hollywood, so they'd have to be. And they are very talented people, so I don't really mind uh, saying that they are weird amalgams of what quote unquote white people look like. <laughs> <laughs> but
3: they are. They are, in fact, white. Yeah. So yes, I uh, decided to make use of my Amazon Prime subscription and watch this film, as it is now there, so you can see Adam Driver Films on two
0: streaming services in December, which Um, is great. That's where we're at. Glad you brought that up, because I was under the impression, as I told you earlier, but that wasn't coming out until like mid-December or something, so I'm probably going to go watch it this weekend. No, okay.
3: (laughs) uh so i i was a fan uh the structure of the film uh when we start in events that have happened in the past um adam driver really has access to emails and documents but he can't actually physically talk with anybody because that is off limits but anything that's happened in the past is okay Although there are some things that are kept from him and some things that end up arriving to him that it gets all into the idea of ethical, is this able to be used in the report, should this be used in it, could this stand up in a court of law, yada, 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 Um, which all to me is very intriguing uh, in terms of this idea of... Almost him having the burden of proof to prove everything that has happened with the Central Intelligence Association, or what is it? That's what CIA stands for, right? I don't remember what the Agency. A is. Central, yeah.
1: yeah, Central Intelligence Agency.
3: Agency, yeah. there it yeah. is, not association. Yeah. Might as well be. Anyways, yeah. so it, it just A, he's got the decks pretty much stacked against him as he's doing this almost self grading of what happened uh, in all of the events that. Uh, came after 9-11 um and also this film asks a lot of very interesting questions and has answers for them as well so uh if you're against a film that picks a lane in terms of how it feels about its subject matter then maybe this isn't the one for you um i thought it was fascinating because i am on the side of what this film is trying to say and at the same time um The idea of going through the structure early on in this film where he is reading these documents and then you actually just go straight into the events as they are transpiring uh, that he's reading about. So you're seeing the torture, you're seeing a lot of the decisions being made by heads of the CIA and the people who were involved in these enhanced interrogations that were happening. Um, And the idea that, and I think this is, one of the most important parts of the film, that people taking advantage of other people when it comes to wartime possibilities of, well, this works because we're scientists. And that being like, oh, that sounds great. They're scientists. Mm-hmm. They said it works. Yeah, and which th- is
0: funny because when scientists say climate change.
3: Well, it, it's all in the i have the beholder right oh yeah whatever they say something that they want to hear it's okay um i I think the most important part of this for me and something that is made very apparent in the film but i find just fascinating uh is the idea of uh a group of people being their own overseers is so concerning that's
0: how this happens
3: i mean just the idea of well we can deliver these results and also we're going to deliver all of the oversight for our our own findings. And the fact that nobody really had any questions about that is so frightening. Um, But it's all in the idea of, well, do you want to catch Osama bin Laden or not? Uh, And then the other question about this, you know, because the ethics of torture and of it being worthwhile and necessary Um, is definitely there throughout this film and is a big part of the first i don't know hour or so but this film really uh gets gets at me and really became what it was when the film started to ask the question about okay if that one group answers the question and says oh we're sorry about this we did this um and this happened But it also led to the capture of Osama bin Laden and other terrorists but it actually didn't. Uh, That's a really bad place to be. And also too um, uh, I I mentioned to you earlier both of you guys earlier about how I saw some similarities between this and another great film uh, called Spotlight Uh, but the idea of saying oh there were some bad apples but we took care of them. This is not a systemic problem. This is down to the people who are actually doing it, uh, that is a, such a dangerous... It's,
1: it's funny not... how it always comes out to shake out like that, right? It's not systemic, no.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because I, and I feel like without having even seen the movie, uh, that's even more erroneous in a situation like this than um, a situation like the Catholic Church, where mm-hmm. that was definitely a fucked-up situation. But like, I don't think the pope went around telling people to be a pedophile. <laughs> they were just completely okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um but the idea of bureaucracy and military is to follow orders. So the idea that anybody can act of their own accord in that kind of a system is insane. So
3: yeah, um and the idea of it and I think it is important to remember uh and not because I think that anything that happens in this film Is right or should have happened or anything like that um but i feel like in the months following 9 11 uh it's very important to remember that people were all in on whatever gets the job done we're good with it it's fine and i think that was
0: the culture's temperature um
3: uh and then the last thing i will say and again i think this is a very very good film and i really enjoyed it um This film makes a very clear thought early on, and it's really not mentioned much throughout the film, but it's very important um, that basically in its attempts to have these enhanced interrogation methods, it's very possible that they just were delaying actually acquiring real evidence yeah. that could have led to the capture or killing of Osama bin Laden or other terrorists because they spent so much time listening to this bad logic about wine to that they're not actually asking the right questions or even talking to the right people. Um, and a lot of it is because the CIA uh, felt really embarrassed that they had the information on 9-11 and did nothing with it. So they didn't want to fuck up again. And by doing so, they fucked up even worse. So yeah, And again, this is a film that is coming from a very slanted perspective, I would say. So I would not necessarily take every action that happens in this film as total 100% truth. Uh, but at the same time, it's definitely a truth I pretty much believe in
0: too. So yeah. yeah. I'm going to say good. two things really quickly yes. about the report. A mm-hmm. movie I've never seen. <laughs>
1: um, one. Do you plan on seeing it?
0: Uh, I do for sure. Okay. Uh, one. I love how it's uh, written, directed by Scott Seaburns, Right, and he's, he's, he's
3: a, a Steven Soderbergh disciple.
0: He is, and I and I love the relationship together. They he wrote the informant for him, mm-hmm. and some other like side effects or whatever. And I love how before this came out, it certainly sounded like The Informant. Not the quirky comedy, but the kind of weird digging into a thing, and bureaucratic... Uh, drama, so to speak. It's certainly a much different tone than before, <laughs> for but. sure. But I love how, um, after that being one of my all-time favorite movies and one of the best writer-director collaboration, whatever, about 2019 comes along, and he also wrote the Laundromat
2: mm-hmm. that
0: Steven Soderbergh directed this year. And I feel like Steven approached him because it's been at least a couple of years since they worked on a movie together. And was like, "Hey, Scott, have you, uh, you got any scripts lying around?" And he, he was like writing the report, and he kind of looked and panicked, like, uh, "Yeah, I've got the the laundromat. It's about the Panama Papers." And then just like put the script for the report like in the drawer. I'm keeping this one for myself. <laughs> yeah, because the laundromat <laughs> was shit, and I say that as someone who very much loves Steven Soderbergh. Uh, that was just unfortunate misfire, but that this would come out the same year, it just makes me chuckle to think he's like, yep, yeah, this one's mine, which, which sounded like was well-earned that he was able to...
3: It was. Uh, Soderbergh was a producer on this, yeah. so um, no, that, I mean, may, I, yeah. that may just be a Steven Spielberg.
0: Yeah! Why don't you throw my name on there? I don't know, though. Uh, I will say Soderbergh is kind of an actual, I don't know, uh, set presence a lot of times. Like, he... Was the DP on the Magic Mike sequel, despite the fact that he wanted no credit for that. Well, he was retired, so. Well, I know that, but I know, like, he goes for that faux, you know, whatever. But I think he's actually pretty generous with his collaborators that he genuinely finds those kind of projects. So I'm not saying he was on the set or anything like that of the report, but I would buy it more from someone like him doing it than I would from, like, Spielberg oh, yeah. uh, coming out of the Amblin office. Uh, nope, I'm going back inside. Oh, this is good? I guess I'll put
3: my name all over this. Yeah. This isn't good? I'll see you guys later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tucson? Alright, cool. Um I didn't watch any films this past week, but I did watch some television. All right. Um so I watched the I've now watched all of the three current episodes of season four of Rick and Morty. Yeah. Which, you know, just started like three weeks ago. Um I don't like them. No? I don't like them. I like, uh, I like I like, the first episode. I think the the premiere for season four is all right. Um, While, well, you know, you guys were talking, I was, like, trying to, like, do the, the mental math. Like, what did I watch in the past week? And I was like, oh, I watched Rick and Morty. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I remember the first episode, and I forgot, actually, what happened in the second half of the second episode. And I really didn't like the third episode. So I have to, like, round it up to, like, yeah, I'm not really uh, – I'm not feeling it so far. Like, it's just um, – I wouldn't say that it's circling the drain. I would say that mm. it is just. Um, I'm trying to find a softer way of like, of, of making that point because I don't think it's, it's as bad as that implies. It's yeah. going in the wrong direction. I, I don't think. I think. No? Th- I think that um, diminishing returns. It might be diminishing returns. I feel like this is like the second episode uh, was all about re-emphasizing how lonely and shitty of a person Rick is, right? But and they've
0: never done an episode like that.
1: Yes, <laughs> they have. They've, they've done they've done that a couple of times. And, and, and it comes to such a point now that, like, you know, you can only mine so much pathos out of this character and try to, like, but play see. this balancing act of them just being, like, this charismatic asshole versus being, like, them in their inner life being just, like, so just awful to themselves overall. As awful as they are to other people, they're even more awful to themselves. And it's just, like, at some point... This has to come to a head where we actually learn what happened to this particular character that made them this way. And I feel like that's going to be a turning point for the series, not just in sort of like justifying how much they are laying into this particular thread, but also how will this show then work as a comedy if we actually get to that point, that necessary point that we have to get get to, like how will the dynamic between – those two characters change because they're both voiced by Justin Roiland and it's all about sort of the, the comedic sort of like repartee of these two sort of clashing personalities. Now, obviously like Morty's character has matured a lot from the, the first season and has stopped being such a punching bag for Rick's character and has actually become more worldly and more jaded and, and more self-assured. And that's, and that's been really interesting. Um,
0: but from what I understand... I mean, I've
1: seen the first right, right, yeah. season and a half. I, okay, seen, yeah.
0: I stopped midway through season two. Season three is good. My problem with Rick and Morty in general was that I actually like season one, so I don't think it's like a bad show or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, season
1: one's like. But
0: But once I got to the second season and he was...
1: Dan Harmon
0: as a writer was already repeating himself and doing sequels to which I know he did in community, and
1: I love community are you talking about interdimensional television yeah something yeah that's that 's actually one of the weakest episodes of the but it told series me so that far. I
0: thought that, that was the direction of the show in general when it comes to both comedy and drama that maybe they were going to i don 't know that was just it just of course
1: corrects a little bit okay. in, in in the third season i 'm just sort of like let down by these initial episodes because. One, the entire season is supposed to be 10 episodes. Um, they're only airing like five episodes because apparently they don't have the other half like ready yet. They're, they're It's like a rolling start where there's going to be like the later episodes and a half. And it's sort of already promised for the fact that they were renewed for like 70 plus episodes yeah. like at the end of like season three. So in theory, there should be shorter and shorter increments of time between like these episodes being written how they're produced and airing and stuff like that it's just um there's 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 the question of like whether this show can actually like last that longevity because I know that it's sort of like coasting what
0: show can like what what I mean by that is what show can last that long in, in projected you know what I mean like in, in
1: projection because uh, I would say that yeah, you can't really like you can't you solve never for put that on any show. But animated television has done that before, like, I mean, like in the, the case Simpsons of just, like The Simpsons just keeps getting
3: renewed, but I'm, they're they're not they're I'm, not they don't have like a ten year contract or something like that. I'm not that. talking
1: about The Simpsons. I'm talking oh. about Futurama. I think Futurama actually like, but from the second season, they didn't get re- they had to keep fighting to stay on the Right. Here. Yeah.
0: And usually that fuels creativity. I don't necessarily buy the idea that giving Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland... Carb blanche, pretty a, much, to, like... Oh, you've got 70 episodes to do. Right. That doesn't make me feel secure as a f- person who would want to watch the show. Right. Because it doesn't really make it seem all that immediate that I should watch it. Like... If they're not coming out that fast, which I understand why because it's mm-hmm. animation, but like at least something like Venture Brothers, um, which I think is a superior show. I don't. Yeah. I think you'd agree because I know you love that. Show. I love Venture Brothers. Yeah, um, but
1: it's 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 the for as much as people complain about how long it takes for a new season of Rick and Morty, like they but they, they don't know anything. Like no, right? It is like,
0: ten at best. But you also know that the moment they announce a premiere date, right. that what you are about to get into is a full and complete idea worked through, mm-hmm. and a, you know is not going to be like only set up for another season or another episode. Which is I, I don't know. I just the whole seventy plus order just really annoyed the shit out of me when I heard about that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I'm 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 still watching it just because you know. Do
0: you I, think it makes it to all those episodes?
1: Do you think it's going to make it to all those episodes? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's too early to say, um, I, I, I believe that there has to be some, some other sort of course corrections. Like, I think that it might have longevity to do that. I mean, hell. Again, I'm, I'm sort of comparing it to like Futurama in that sort of respect because like I didn't think that Futurama was going to make it as to as many episodes as it did, and even in its like latter half of its like lifetime, you know, post like renewal, post like Comedy Central. And shit, I was gonna like,
0: say that had a switch channel, yeah, that had yeah. To fan petitions. and it's
1: still like when I think back to those later episodes, a lot of them are some of my favorite of no, the entire say series.
0: If only got at least somewhat like better as it went on, and yeah, like yeah. Um, but that's that's the opposite of what right now Justin Roiland mm-hmm. and uh, Dan Harmon have locked down, which yeah. is that's more like we'll just close the door on the office. Like, give us 70 episodes, okay? And then just, like, closing the door and right. thinking that the children are actually going to do their homework. I, I don't know. That's yeah. Just...
1: yeah. I mean, I'm, lo- I'm still looking forward to what has built up to be sort of, like, the one, like, consistent background uh, development where um, you watch the first season, right? Yeah, and you haven't watched anything past like the middle of the second season, right? Not that I remember. Okay, no. so something it happens in the third season where it reintroduces that character that we met, Mister um,
0: the... Poopy Butthole.
1: Oh no, he he was <laughs> well. Actually, he is in the the fourth. Yes, there is a character named Mister Poopy Butthole. Um, yeah, that's this kind of show. But I actually like
0: no, I Mister
1: mean PB. So like
0: first episode hit <laughs> looks was or wait has he well he's been in multiple
1: episodes yeah he was he was in the uh well actually he was in the third episode the episode that I didn't like but I liked him I just I just don't like the episode anyway. it's it's a, it's a really petty vendetta episode of anything um
0: but what are you gonna say in season three in season
1: th- in season three um it finally pulls on a thread that was sort of like laid in season one but wasn't capitalized in season two and that is the aftermath of the citadel of ricks and that one character who got away who was actually the the mastermind behind it all yeah yeah. he comes back in an episode um called the rick lantis mix-up that i actually recommend that you watch even if you don't you haven't seen anything like you can
0: so if i want to check back here if you want to just
1: drop into that episode like there's been some other stuff that's happened in, in the time since but like that one episode i think that you would really vibe with um and it sees the return of that character in a major way that yeah okay yeah that I, I, I would i would love to, i would shot. love to see built on like in later things because i think that's like we we now have an actual antagonist in rick and morty that i feel like would be really interesting
0: Interesting.
1: Um, also, on top of that, not trying to monopolize this, yeah. but I also um, I watched the recent episode of Watchmen. Oh. Yeah, which I am. We,
3: we, we just got through the sixth episode. Yep. yep. In terms of live.
1: Well, in the, terms uh, of...
0: This extraordinary being. This
1: extraordinary being, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was extraordinary.
0: So, because we're a movie podcast and not, first and foremost, a TV podcast, yeah. should we just say right now, we're not going to talk about it for super long, mm-hmm. but there are going to be spoilers for that episode for the next five minutes, or are we yeah. Good? okay?
3: Yeah. So no, just I think, because I think I think we're good with that. So we don't
0: normally give spoiler warnings, but we don't also normally talk about. And
1: do we it, want to talk about well, like what we're planning on doing after? You know. Yeah. Yeah, we could tease that up. Yeah, real quick though, I yes. will say
3: that we will have the timestamp. Uh, of oh, yeah. when the film review will start. So
0: if you, at this point, do not want to hear anything about Watchmen, you can just Skip scoot ahead. to it. Yeah. Um, and before we even start that, mm-hmm. the spoilers, I think we can all agree that this was a great episode of television. Yeah, so it was. Just give a preview in case you're not caught up and or you're on the fence about Watchmen. Yeah. We definitely all recommend it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, de- I definitely recommend and the episode.
3: As like we have in the past, as Toussaint was getting at uh, a minute ago or so, we are planning on doing an episode on this season of television, uh, especially since there are at least at this point no plans for another season. So if anything, uh, this may continue on with somebody other than um, Damon Lindelof being the main driving force, but it mostly will probably be an anthology type series if there is a
1: continuation on so absolutely so sort of to give like a brief overview um of the show and of the significance of this one particular episode because this is basically the sixth episode and a nine episode run so we are already well past the the midway point and now we are getting to a point where now all these pieces of a larger mystery are beginning to coalesce and now we're entering into prime end game phase with this um particular storyline for watchmen um so, we basically learn the identity of who murdered a major character in the the first episode. We know um, the relationship of a person to the main character, like how how exactly they 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 relate to them, and what their larger sort of significance within the uh, the history and the canon of Watchmen is, and how just their very existence sort of like reframes an entire legacy of like what spawned the entire uh, phenomenon of mass superheroes in in the world of this show of of even the comic too. Um so is there anybody else who wants to like bounce off ideas for this because like I wouldn't talk a little bit uh, but like I will say
3: um and if you're somebody out there who has not seen it and doesn't plan on seeing it and is just listening to this for
1: fun um, I'm being
3: oblique because I'm trying
1: not to no, like... No, no. Yeah. Uh,
3: I'm, I'm, I guess I just want to give a little bit of context that the main theme of this season of television is racism. Yeah. Race, and racism, identity. Is it
0: acceptable?
3: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a the very first... Race, what is it? <laughs> the very first episode, the first 12 minutes or so, features a, a back-in-time re- yeah. um, review of what happens with one of the characters that we now know is on the show um, and their, uh, I just want to say, experience in the Tulsa race riots. Yep. And it's actually a factual event, mm-hmm. and a lot of the
0: actions that happen are, are very much... I think this is an alternate universe. Um, I think it's pretty
2: much accurate. <laughs> anyway, Can you that's... imagine,
0: though, like some... like because the show is this crazy sci-fi and literally an alt-universe where time has diverged if some, like, I don't know, skinhead was, like, climate-changing this shit, be Mm -hmm. like, well, I think maybe Lindelof just knows that it never really happened, and so he put it in this show where, oh, I don't know, Robert Redford is president.
1: Man, they gotta, like, twist themselves into a pretzel just to, like, justify that sort of, like, argument.
3: I feel Uh, like the show may tip its hand, if it hasn't already, that that may be the point in time where we went off into this reality. At least, yeah. if but, not at, at, at any if, rate. if not
1: that, like one of the many diverging points, like that well, we're also especially saying. from what we see in this episode with yeah. the
3: creation of um... Hooded Justice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, Hooded Justice is the the first superhero in the um, the sort of like universe of Watchmen. Like he's not like a superhero as in a in a comic in that universe, but rather the first person who actually dressed up in a costume and started. Beating the shit out of, like, criminals, vagabonds and and 'er ne'er-do-wells and basically inspiring this whole sort of, like, costume generational fad of people just, like, dressing up in costumes and, like, promoting themselves in that sort of way. Um, And I would say, before you continue, that it's
0: important to note that Alan Moore in the comic did not reveal who was under the hood. Yeah,
1: he never actually revealed who Hooded Justice was. Hooded Justice makes an appearance Uh, Via flashback in one of the issues I think it's the second issue Uh, And er all other sort of Supplementary information about Hooded Justice Is conveyed through a Memoir written by another character Who they themselves did not Know the entirety or the fullness of that story of what was going on it's only from conjectured there.
0: conjectured based. Yeah. Which actually bleeds into the show because the episode prior to this episode mm-hmm. had Red Scare and I think Panda literally trading uh, theories, theories about, Dr. about yeah. yeah, about how, oh, I think Dr. Manhattan's, uh, that makes no sense. He's yeah. like, well, he can
1: time travel. <laughs> like, no, he can't. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, that's another thing about, I like about this show is like nobody seems to be entirely certain of what, dr manhattan can or cannot do and i feel like that's going to come back in a very real way um and i'm looking forward to that uh but this particular episode is interesting for the fact that uh in the prior canon of of materials that nick just alluded to alan moore's original watchman comic with dan dave gibbons um hooded justice's race was never really Put into question. It was always like he was a white guy. We don't know which white guy he is, but he might be this white guy. Even though this guy, white guy died, which it th- also
3: isn't in this universe isn't. for everyone in the real world. Right. Real world. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: right. He um, like it turns out that Hooded Justice is actually a black man named Will Reeves, um, who is the grandfather of Angela Abar, who is the main character, the protagonist of this season of watchman who goes by the sort of vigilante uh uh nom de guerre uh sister knight he basically works for the uh tulsa pd um and basically it goes through his entire life of, like through like the early early 1940s right before world war ii um where he began to dress up as sort of justice why did he choose quote quote choose that particular outfit if he did choose it at all um the minutemen the first generation of of superheroes who would then give way to the second generation who are the main characters of the original watchman comic um and basically sort of seeing how 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 is the archetype of of superhero dumb complicated by the the presence or the acknowledgement of race in that regard and like why is it so because a, a lot of people who i i i've kept my ear to the pavement so to speak in like listening to like both people who like this episode and don't like this episode who like the show and don't like the show just so that i'm i'm as to like what exactly is, is the actual discourse going on here right now um uh, and one of the the contentions is that, like you know, Hooded Justice couldn't be black because we see his face in one panel and it's clearly white, and they actually they actually don't see his face; you only see the outline of his eyes. And the show actually um, beautifully, almost almost chillingly, gives an answer as to why he looks the way that he does versus in that in that panel of the comic, um, which should
0: when it happens, should be taken as, like, a fucking dumbfounded twist that anybody, white, male, whatever, should watch and completely take for granted that this is how it is because we accept that... Exact opposite with every white character who puts on the mask, mm. and how Batman can't be identified because he does the same shit over his eyes. So, the idea that right. like this would be a bridge too far because right. you can't, like, no, we, right. you know, we do that
1: same thing with, uh, with like our other favorite vigilantes. Like, how come it doesn't work with this guy's like, oh, We would just, we could just tell, you know, we could just tell by the shape of his skull. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. I mean, I mean, know, right? Yeah. At,
3: at that point, uh, uh, that gets into a, mut- a whole different argument cuz now you're getting into Black Klansman territory too of I just know what those blacks sound like I know like,
1: mm, I know that yeah. there there is a, a Are you sure? There's a <laughs> there's a contention of whether or not this nullifies anything that was said in the original text and I don't think it does if anything I think that it necessarily complements complicates it and then complements it in such a way that it feels like it's two sides of the same coin as to what was the intention of the creation of that character in the original comic whereas like i've i've gone back and read those those passages before and not knowing what i know from the show like like just siloing them off siloing off off what happens in the comic versus what happens in the show And then taking them together as like a common universe, like I feel like you could totally read that in a totally different way and introducing these elements then sort of like brings it in another direction. But I feel like the reason why Hooded Justice existed in Alan Moore's original comic the way that it did was meant to interrogate – like whose fantasy is this? Whose fantasy – are our superheroes the earliest superheroes sort of afforded to and who is sort of like brushed aside and like left to to you know figure out whatever the hell they're gonna do right and then to have this new element like introduced further complicates that and if anything repronounces that same sort of question in a way that feels very uncomfortable and i feel necessarily uncomfortable as to why is it so – why why is it so patently unbelievable that this person could be the first superhero? Because we understand that with the presence of race, that person would not be held in the same regard as they would be. Were, were, were who the,
0: stands to benefit the most from anonymity?
1: Who stands – yeah, exactly. The marginalized. Yeah, I exactly. I mean that's just yeah. pretty much – yeah. And and even complicates the idea of like you know like masks are used to like sort of like conceal trauma, but also to sort of explore alternate identities and other sort of like repressed like personal things about a person that they otherwise would not be able to explore. And I think that that episode also totally like clues into all those ideas. It's a very well done piece of, of of television, and I am just constantly taken aback by this show. Like how much I like it and how much it works for me on that level because I'm – I am I feel like there are a lot of Watchmen fans who disagree with the show and its interpretation on the fact of it not being a verbatim adaptation. But even if it was a verbatim adaptation, they would hate it anyway because it wouldn't be the comic. And really for me, whether or not something is exactly like the source is not the point but rather – Okay, you've changed this one element. How then does that change the entire text? And how do we like like do we just like gloss over that, or are we actually going to explore that and actually like have a conversation about that? I'm thinking about Ghost in the Shell again. Honestly, it's like it's it's the plug and play shit like that that pisses me off because there it's it it's evidence of a. Entire lack of self awareness and an entire lack of of regard for the actual text and understanding why people like that text and then actually like like prodding and involving the audience to actually like negotiate and talk about it.
3: Well, you also have to. This look, show
1: does does it right.
3: I was just going to say, you also look at the purpose right. of the change that you made. Right. Casting a white person in Ghost in the Shell, yeah, was done try to get white audiences to come watch yeah, your film.
1: And then there's all the naked and ways that it was sort of retrofitted in order to sort of like retroactively justify that um that decision and then to then involve it in such a way that is one of the most grotesque and and honestly culturally offensive <laughs> things I've ever seen in a in a sci fi movie of its of its ilk. It's like, wow, you you thought you were being edgy. You actually Totally shot yourself in the foot. Um, but no, Watchmen is is incredible. I mean,
3: just um, the last two episodes specifically, because I like the whole series so yeah. far. Uh, the only episode that I thought was not amazing was episode four. Um, episode three
1: was kind of my thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, 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 I get why people like it. space junk episode. Yeah, that's a space junk episode. It's just like, you know, I I will say this. I like that episode. Um, it is sort of my least favorite of the ones that we've seen so far just because, and this is coming from me having like read the comic multiple times, a lot of the references to the original comic are a little – they're way too on the nose for me. Yeah. Some some lines of dialogue are like, did you really just fucking say that? I think
0: the what's funny about the series right now is that – It's at
1: its best when it's like riffing off of and diverging and, and sort of – going in different directions from the text and sort of, like, evoking and broad shooks where they're just, like... versus just, like, directly quoting. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I think the reason why they're doing that, and not to say that this is what they should be doing, but I think what you're noticing for me is that um, I think this show... A a telling sign is that when this Hooded Justice episode came up, at least in my opinion, the uh, divergence there as to who's under that hood uh, is works out so beautifully and in my opinion canonically makes perfect sense mm-hmm. and it, it enriches the text that it's in and also enriches the text that came before yeah. not because that text couldn't reach that it's just that text is caught in time because it was written published and then it stayed there as far as not the popularity but it, it's not like Alan Moore made sequels or anything like
1: that there's one element that um, not to cut you off Yeah, sorry um, okay. there's, there's one element that people disagree and think that you know, it doesn't make sense for Will Reeves to be hooded justice because I think it was one of one of the interstitial chapters of Hollis Hollis's like like um, his memoir, memoir yeah. where it was talking about how hooded justice like sort of expressed like implicit support for Nazi Germany and shit like that. And I think that like how do you negotiate that with Will Reeves' identity? And I feel like it's it's actually in the show that it mm-hmm. sort of like harkens at that because you have the beginning of the second episode where you have Will Reeves who is holding on to this document hmm. that was in the jacket of his father. That is the last thing that he has of his father that he's – that. I mean
3: he basically gives him his, his little Paddington piece of paper to say, yeah. watch after this boy. Watch up,
1: watch after this boy because it was the only piece of paper that he had after <laughs> him like, like for that. And that pamphlet is an actual pamphlet that was printed during World War I. That had, propaganda. that was propaganda, but it yeah. wasn't. But it was propaganda that was purposely weaponizing like the institutional prejudices of America, then to to then demoralize like colored like like fighters.
3: Yeah, there's a lot going on with
1: that document. There's a lot going on, and and I feel like there's a lot that's going on for that character to be exposed to that at such an impressionable age to have still be carrying that into their 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 el- their old age and to still sort of be be um to to still be um internalizing those ideas and those sentiments and maybe even the sort of like the implicit hope that 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 is underlying them even if it's a false hope oh yeah and uh, like it's, it's the martha's pearl necklace
0: of black paint.
1: Yes, Nick. Yes. Um, why would you say that to, name? To me, it is. It is. It's a. It's the kind of question that parallels to one of the most uncomfortable questions in the original Watchmen, which is why would Laurie Jopesci like conceive a child with a man that she had every reason to hate? They're not the same question, but I think that they sort of the 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 arc of of. What you would have to interrogate in order to sort of like get at an answer, if any answer to that sort of falls in, in the same sort of milieu of they, – they, what they're both getting at is that the answer will never be sufficient enough to, to be an answer. Yeah. The answer in and of itself is that people are complicated, and you don't know the fullness of somebody's lived experience. So yeah. I like that.
3: So we'll get into it more when we do our full episode um, on this. But one thing I will mention that uh, I believe will be coming back at some point later on in this season of television is the idea of using the mesmerizing machine in some way. Oh, that's going to be a huge thing. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I'm assuming that the uh, um, actual actions that happened in the theater were very much like... Uh, what happens in the Kingsman uh, film where I'm not I'm being dead serious. No, I mean... I mean, just, I, just this idea of
0: people just oh,
1: beating the shit. yeah, ship. it is like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, much. wait a minute. Yeah.
0: I, I, was, oh. I was thinking of a different movie. Oh, for okay. For some stupid reason, I was thinking of the King's Speech. <laughs> and all I could think of was like... Jeffrey Rush's hypnosis when he's trying to, like, you know, get him to, like, Stop you, yeah. And, it, like, so that it was so weird because that was just related enough where I wasn't going to be like, are you sure about that? <laughs> but, like, it made me laugh because I had no idea how that was going Anyway, okay. the Kingsman, yes, uh, that makes a lot more sense yes. than actual brainwashing technology
3: yep. being used. Yeah. Um, but obviously, uh, before he burns the whole warehouse down after killing Papa Trump, um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's a fun article. Yeah.
1: That was uh, it's a fun theory. Yeah. It's a, it seems like it might. Be I, think, real. I, think it's, I think it's pretty solid. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, All the evidence seems to be pointed there. Will
3: then saves this technology to
2: possibly
3: use against somebody at some point but obviously we literally see i was him gonna say we that, know for
0: a fact that even if it doesn't show up ever again which i definitely think it will mm-hmm. like at least there's a closed loop there of like we got our answer cause that's at least the answer to the riddle that was basically posed in the and first then, episode which is how did judd die by
3: if, his own hand right so. which but obviously being brainwashed yeah. um but there's God, that ending scene here is so so good. Uh, mostly because he's got his little flashlight that apparently he can just point at him and that, which is—he's
1: had know. a lot of time to work on that stuff. So. Uh,
0: okay, <laughs> that was the only shot where, and I thought it was actually funny, and I didn't want it to be different. But he, at one point, he's just like barely aiming it, and he's just kind of like like holding it backwards above and over his head. I was gonna say, he's have also... you ever tried to shoot a basketball backwards, like? I was gonna say. Also, Judd is
3: also climbing up the tree and clearly facing the other direction. So, does it not matter if he's not looking? It's fine. It's all. It's all good. It's just it, funny. It, yeah. Uh, anyways, right before that, though, when they're having an actual discussion and he's talking about his KKK robe that his grandfather had that he's kept. Oh boy, is that such a just a little? Oh,
0: that's because. Oh yeah, I great. see
1: you. I see exactly who you are.
0: Yeah, but the whole thing though, I, is I think that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that I I'm with you, Alex, and that that seems great because I really do think that that does kind of exemplify a lot of what's happened in 2019, which is that in 2019, uh, soon to be 2020, uh, we are certainly seeing a whole swarm of people be just actual Nazis and KKK, you know, members and people, but we are also seeing the large majority of maybe, shall we say, a certain generation, a certain perspective, basically unable to distance themselves from something like that, even if they're not as militant in their prejudices, so to speak. I mean, Or even if they we do not know, believe themselves to be a racist. Yeah, but we know that he worked with Sister Knight, and I actually do think, kind of like as to your question, uh, when you said earlier about how you try to interrogate those threads of, like, why would, uh, you know, Laurie have a child and with the comedian mm-hmm. and things like that. Whereas I think Judd is the same kind of thing. Whereas like, how can he, I think actually have a genuine relationship with somebody like sister night, um, both with and without a mask, yeah. but also still before about, before about to hang himself, forced to hang himself, still be so pettily tied up, uh, and say like, well, that's, that's my legacy. Like, well, Why are you putting in the closet then? You know, and it's like, and I think that's the thing is that you don't know. It can't be extracted even from the recesses of some of these people's minds. But it's like they don't even, like, it's almost compulsion. Yeah. They they don't know what else to do if they can't hold on to something like that.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: But yeah. Very fascinating.
1: uh, Very well done.
0: It's a very good show. It's really.
3: Uh, I think heated up in the last two episodes, yeah. and uh, with only three episodes left, I'm pretty much on the edge of my seat every time it's going to be on. So yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm with you, Tucson. I'm, I'm, I'm liking it, and I'm, I'm glad it's good
1: because yeah. I'm really glad it's good
3: yeah, because I know you were.
1: Concerned. I was, Oh, I was vehemently against the idea of it because I, I had, a I had an impression of what it was going to be. Like it was going to be another adaptation of the direct text itself, like, like another, un, un like. Zack Snyder's Watchmen, only now this time it's Damon Lindelof for some reason doing the exact same thing that Zack Snyder did. I'm just like, why the fuck are you doing this? And now, like, seeing what he's actually done with it, it's a lot more bold. It's a lot more interesting. It's a lot more... Um, more appearances
0: by Lube Man?
1: <laughs> yeah. Lube oh, Man. Yeah, I think that's Petey. That's, I, I'm i going to put that out there. That's Petey. And I hope
3: Pennywise wasn't in that Petey drain. Peteypedia? Yeah. Like
1: the guy for like yeah, I six, think,
0: I who think went with Lori or yes, not Lori. Yeah, hey, yeah Lori. I think that's Petey. Uh, yeah,
1: maybe. Petey seems to be the only other person who actually knows the true identity of like Sister Knight.
0: Well, it is interesting that I do think that there must be a payoff to his like Wikipedia like knowledge. Mm-hmm. Whereas you don't get that fascinated by these people without wanting
1: to be them, I think. Right. So yeah.
0: actually I think you're onto something
1: there. Yeah. Ah, that's crazy. Um but yeah, this is this has actually been a really um, rewarding watch. It's actually it, – it's gone from a show that I was so skeptical about to being my my favorite show of the entire season in that I watch every single episode after it goes up. Um, like I've got HBO on Amazon Prime. I just watch it the, the morning after and just mm-hmm. like that's the first thing I do. I just watch Watchmen. Yeah. So.
3: Damien Lindelof's on a roll because that third season yeah. of The Leftovers was
1: absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm taking it on a provisional basis, like <laughs> season by season, like okay, let's see, let's see what we're doing, doing, yeah. buddy. Have we learned the the difference between uh, like mystery and convolution? I'm like going, okay, let's let's do that. We're all gonna, I will it say, it always goes back to Prometheus. Oh, it does. <laughs> it really, it's really going to go there. But yeah. I think
0: the leftover, or, yeah, the leftovers is a great example though. That if for some reason he announced that he wanted to do a second season. I would actually not be skeptical of that at all. Hmm. Like, he learned everything he could from each season of The Leftovers where that show got better every season. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying if this show was on for three seasons and he did all three, that would guarantee that it's, oh, this is going to be better than that. But he does not really uh, move forward without making sure that he has a vision moving forward. So uh,
1: not, to, not to prolong this, but this world is a, dy- is a dystopia, right? Can we agree that this world is a dystopia? I would call it that. And that, like, the background for it is that Vietnam was— Oh, wait. Do
0: you mean the world of Watchmen?
1: I thought you were talking about our reality. Ah, shut the fuck up. Anyway. (laughs) No, no, no. No, no, no. Um, So Vietnam was one, and we're in Bernstein, were assassinated, which means that uh, the Watergate conspiracy never came to light. So that Richard Nixon was then able to campaign for re-election and campaigned successfully for the repeal of the Twenty Second Amendment, which got rid of term limits, which means that he was able to. I can't remember when he became president, but basically he was able to become president like all the way up to like his death. His death, like around like nineteen eighty eight or nineteen ninety, yeah. around that time, and then drew invite handpicks Robert Redford and, to be the yeah, next president. Ford becomes like the interim, <laughs> like. Uh, president like he does in you know real life uh but then redford becomes the next president and then he's president for 30 years and there's sort of like you know the blue wave that sort of like follows in that regard but what is so dystopian about this is that our reality such as it is 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 subject to the the sort of convulsive like vacillations between sort of like faux optimism and faux sort of like democratic regard and this sort of like almost nightmare self flagellation, like austerity yeah. um this the, the vacillations in this universe are arguably going to be even worse for the fact that like if after 30 years and redford decides to not go not become president anymore and then you elect somebody else who is conservative they also do not have those same sort of like guard posts to keep them from being in office so they'll be in office for like the rest of their lives and it's gonna be a fucking nightmare like i would not i would not want to live in this universe even even like without the whole fucking squid thing or whatever shit like that like this sounds like an even more nightmarish version of our world (laughs) holy shit
3: Yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah
3: Anyways, uh, good stuff. Looking forward to our uh, full episode on that, probably coming out sometime in January. Oh, yeah. We're going to have way more to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, tonight, uh, a very exciting time for me, uh, as I've been patiently waiting a long time for this. Like a good little boy. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Very much excited for Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, um, and... I will say I have pretty much wanted him to go back to his gangster roots with the old crew and that's been something I've been hoping for and one of those things where life just doesn't work that way and yet here we are in 2019 and we literally get a film with Martin Scorsese doing a gangster uh, show with De Niro Joe Pesci
0: and also Al Pacino this time. I was gonna say he brought the old crew and basically folded in the only other person who would have been like a good match back then, you know. So
3: and this is, uh, I it's weird that he hasn't been in a Scorsese film before this. Before yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and this is the second time uh, since Godfather Part Two that De Niro and Pacino. uh, Sorry, the third time since uh godfather part two we have heat which is an all-time classic I'll debate mm-hmm. that with anybody oh yeah we have the terrible film righteous kill from like 2008 2009 where they huh. are just thrown in together it was director a director whoever put that out yeah. just said oh i've got these two i win uh and it's not good you don't and now you have uh de
0: niro and pacino it's together almost a again. a course correction because well you have godfather part two where they're in the same movie but they can never be in the same scene then you have uh what do you call it heat where they're in the same movie but they only get to be in the same scene once Mm -hmm. uh and then some rando gets him but at least scorsese was like nope if we're gonna end yeah if one of them is gonna die we're gonna get this in there i mean i I will say
1: around that era was that also when like Al Pacino was doing that like dunk, eighty-eight minutes, that Dunkin' Donuts commercial where he was like, "Get a load of my chocolate blend." Uh, I don't remember. You remember that? remember that? I don't remember. You that. don't remember
0: that? No, I, I was don't thinking have... about that
1: shit all the time when we were watching The Irishman. I, well, I
0: think that says a lot about
1: you. Well, we'll watch that after we're done with this episode, maybe. So, yeah, we will. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah.
3: At any rate, um, Casino is um, anyone who's listened to multiple episodes of this. Podcast probably know yes, is my favorite film of all time, and it really doesn't have that much competition for number one. Uh, I also absolutely love Goodfellas and also Wolf of Wall Street as well, even though that's less a straight gangster film.
0: Oh, that's a gangster film. Yeah, I mean, that's but it, what gangsters look like? Yeah. White collar gangsters. It, it
3: is
1: yeah. white collar in, private in equity gangsters.
3: But I know what you mean. What Scorsese does with Mafiosa his film. yes,
1: uh, this is Mafiosa. More, not Mafiosa. <laughs> I like that you knew that joke.
3: Uh, So anyways, The Irishman, uh, which is three and a half hours, uh, surrounds a mob hitman who recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. So the film stars, as mentioned, De Niro, Pacino, and Joe Pesci, but also has uh, smaller performances from Harvey Keitel, Ray Romano, Bobby Cannaval, Anna Paquin, Stephen Graham, Jack Houston, Jesse Plemons... And there was somebody else here that I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. Jim Norton,
1: who may- randomly shows up as Don Rickles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Action Bronson, too. He's a rapper. He's the one who was selling him the coffins. That's why I was oh, freaking yeah, out yeah, when he came on uh, yeah. on screen. The guy with the big bushy beard. Yeah, what? Yeah. what
0: the hell is this guy doing
2: here? <laughs> that's crazy. I <laughs> hundred black coffins.
0: I know that's not the Different same guy. rapper, Different but guy. Yeah. it was wrapped uh, in coffins. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah.
3: So, I'm not racist. Uh, before we get into opening remarks, which I believe I will lead on okay. this film, uh, yes. before we do that, yes. uh, a couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, the first being that I basically created the viewing of this film between myself and these other two gentlemen and my wife, Emily, uh, on the day that this film came out, which was the day before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. 2019. Um, and... It was one of the most wonderful film viewing experiences I've had in a long time.
1: Aww. I feel so. the same way. It was so much we fun. We didn't neon deep in it? Oh, boy. Oh, That there was a joke. Thanks for bringing that up. Oh,
3: God. Um, but I will say, uh, and this is getting into real dangerous territory because I am a major fan of theater viewing of films. Um, but at the same time, the night before thanksgiving getting to get together i'll have pizza the kind circumstances
0: of are really uh, at a beautiful cross section mm-hmm. of you know of that being just the perfect way to do it at that moment yeah. Yeah. yeah but at the
3: same time i absolutely loved it and i would have loved to see this in the theater as well but uh, just the way that it worked out, and the fact that we could all just hang out, and when somebody's really giggling about something or <laughs> thinks something is interesting, we could pause it. Or if somebody wants to take a bathroom break, as this is oh, a yeah. very long film, yeah. it's I mean, easy we to do had, that.
0: Like very random tangents, which we might get brought up. But like one time, I was very randomly kind of derailed our viewing because I was thinking about presidential assassinations. And how oh the, yeah, I remember that. And yeah. how there have f- been four successful ones, but we only remember two of them. And, yeah. Because that was uh, the Kennedy assassination, comes or there
3: up. was the other time the Toussaint like literally fell on his ass. Um, I mean, I all you, the way. I, you know, I thought oh, if I didn't say
0: anything. You would literally have about it. That's been in the front of my mind since we started recording, and I was gonna wait to deploy it at any moment. So now I don't have to do that. Yeah, it just was. so... Our spirits were high that night. So. And yet, I was the only one drinking, so that can't be your excuse, Tucson.
3: And Tucson, right. just—I don't know if he slipped on a blanket or he just—it
0: was on just the hardwood floor because it was I, nice it, and clean. It, it because your like, house was always beautiful. Yeah. Oh,
1: well, thank you, Emily. We it was, appreciate it. Was that. Very, was that... It was very—it was kind of a slippery floor, and I was wearing my yes. socks. But here's the thing: <laughs> and I was trying to turn a corner so, too fast, and then so I ended up landing on my side. I'm like, "What? Well, this is happening." And when functi- you pretty
0: womanness. When functioning
3: adults fall. Usually, it's always funny. Well, it is, but usually it involves two steps. It involves like, yeah. falling down to your knees or something. And There's then, a change and the in the
0: altitude.
3: Yeah, where Toussaint somehow found a way to go ex- exactly horizontal and fall all the way down, and it made just the loudest
0: noise. The <laughs> moment he lost his center of gravity, he just, like like a rookie showing up to boot camp, on his first day, just hit the deck, and uh, good thing you said something. Yeah, I was when, fine. when you were like, "I'm fine," because I before you said that, I could have seemed like, did, are we, "Is there going to be a pool of blood down there?" <laughs> no, like, maybe, fly, I'm no, no, i fine. No, I mean, like the moment you said that, yeah. I'm like, "Oh, okay, you just yeah went straight down." But yeah, no, uh, I, I, I
3: mean, I was legitimately concerned that you broke something because it nah. made a very loud it noise. A, yeah. 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 So, yeah. so we're, we. We really were very happy. happy oh, yes. Yeah.
0: That, that's, that's why we're made. My, my fun side of it. was
1: sore. But, like, uh, I was like, uh, I would.
0: Yeah. That's uh, your body helping you. Yeah. I'm
1: just like, uh, I'm here. It's like, I don't. Uh, I was just trying to run from my mind. It's like, how the fuck did that happen? I was <laughs> just like. No, it was, it was pretty delightful. But man. it was
0: very. You made our evening better. That's good. I would agree, especially since you didn't die. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought. Overall, it would have sucked. We would have had to, I mean, can you imagine trying to pause the Irishman because somebody died and then, and it's like, okay, you still have like two and a half hours to go. The next time you're going to sit down and watch it. Now, every
1: time you sit down and do it, you think about that. Yeah, I know. It's just
0: like, God, could this movie be any longer, emotionally speaking?
1: (laughs) wow. Yeah, luckily I did not die. So Yeah, Yeah, are still here.
3: You can probably hear. Yep. So, anyways, I Also, luckily,
0: it. none of the cats were right
1: there. That is oh true. Oh, my God. You would have murdered yeah. a cat. Oh, my God. I would feel, oh, I'd be so, oh, my God. <laughs> I only
0: make a joke because there was no cats in the vicinity. Oh, 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 oh. Well, I, I, oh. I,
3: would, I definitely think that, A, they're really cats just in general. I'm sure they would have been able to get out of there yeah. before you fell. But at the same he time. He would have
0: gave them a run for their oh, money. Oh, yeah.
3: They would have, well, and they they would have they would have scampered off. Oh. Mm-hmm. So It's all good. Uh, i'll I'll fight i'll fight i'm fine yes and that is the most important thing yeah Uh, the cats are fine too that's That's also important and then third best is just now it's a hilarious story that we can all go back on anyways though it was a wonderful evening and i thank you guys both very much for coming over and watching the film uh with us uh the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, it's always how I'm going to remember watching this film. So Me too. I appreciate I that.
0: had a wonderful time over there. Yeah. And I agree with you that while I'm always going to be like a film theater snob or whatever Mm -hmm. uh there is something to be said when you can make it an intimate affair Mm -hmm. between only people you like Mm because you will never have that at the theater uh that definitely adds a nice uh twinge of camaraderie i
1: also advocate for you know the primacy of theaters as being like the main like movie going like venue that i want to experience that because i like going to the theaters i like being able to share the communal experience of like watching a well made film with like other people, whether they be perfect strangers or you know, good friends that were able to like, you know, just like laugh a little bit in the middle of it. But uh, as of recently, there's been a couple of uh, really fucked up theater experiences that have just oh, really speaking just speaking of which, oh boy, oh my goodness, not to
0: derail this anymore. Oh boy, but we kind of have to because it's become a trend. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell Alex has already heard the story, but I have to really quickly tell my latest who's that sitting in my seat ticket story uh as you know dear listener uh i am a staunch uh hater of people who go to the movies buy reserved seats and do not sit in the correct seats obviously there are times when people make mistakes but i genuinely believe that is like five percent of all situations when this occurs and i i i Shoot me if I'm wrong, but I think it is 95% people being assholes and people not caring Mm -hmm. and people, you know, whatever. And it shouldn't matter in the long run because, you know, we all have a seat, we all, but it does matter because other people end up paying the price of social awkwardness and just plain rudeness Mm -hmm. that they didn't plan on if they, you know, catow towards you because you're being an asshole or whatever. So my latest story, though topped all my previous stories of <laughs> just like how far out of orbit this the decision to not sit in your own seat can reach. So uh I went with my parents to go see Mr. Rogers, the the new movie uh not You Be My Neighbor? Yep. And actually not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get into the theater with them, and about five minutes till showtime, people are... This is a Sunday, the week before Thanksgiving, and right. that was the opening weekend. Oh, that dear. movie's going to be packed. Oh, yeah. That is, like, Absolutely. made for Thanksgiving week, yeah. let alone a Sunday afternoon yeah. showing. So we get to our seats. People are coming in. It definitely looks like it's going to be a full theater. It's not quite there yet. So we get into our row, and I see two elderly ladies, and they are sitting... And I count out our seats, and our very last seat, uh, one of the two elderly ladies was sitting in. So my guess was that they were one seat over. That was my assumption. So we had just had a long talk on the Parasite episode uh Dan had had a bad experience, and we had talked about our other previous
1: bad experiences. It's just the, the time of the year where people decide to just go buck wild. It's every time. Oh, it's every
0: time. It's every time. And here's the thing. I actually did a little reflecting after that episode, because <laughs> I was like, maybe I am being too black and white and just like militant about this. Because I even put out... Another story, which I told on that episode, to Twitter and said, am I the asshole? And people said I was simply because I wanted the seats that I purchased, but because I should have got up so that other people could sit with their other people. Whatever. You can listen to that story. on parasite. But I'm like, if that makes me the asshole, then maybe I need to reflect. And but part of me still thought I wasn't. Part of me still does. So this comes along and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to really try hard here and go out of my way. To, to practice what other you people... Are not rewarded for that. ...are preaching to me. <laughs> nope. So I sit down next to that, uh, to the one lady. I told my parents, I'm like, we're here, here, here. I'm like, I whispered to my mom, I'm like, that lady's in our seat on this side. So we have these two. We don't have that one. Hopefully no one comes. Then I turned around to that lady... And her friend, and I said, just so you know, I think you guys are one seat down, so I'm totally fine with sitting here, but if someone does come in and has this seat over here, we probably are going to have to get up and move, just, it's totally, and then the lady I was talking to turns around and goes, nope, we're in the right seat. So I said, oh. Hi, right, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then that was like. Okay, okay. This is your this is you know, I don't believe in you God, but this is your test. <laughs> so I turn and I had my phone out. It's not like I even had to dig and like pull it up and I kinda just turned it and just said, Oh, well it, it says we have three, four, and five, so that's weird that we would be wrong. And then <laughs> she goes and then she pulled out her ticket, doesn't show it to me whatsoever, and says, Yeah, well we have four and five Like well first of all that makes no sense because this is four over here, and you're not in four. You're in five and six. Whatever. Yeah. But I'm like, second of all, you're not actually showing me your ticket, so I don't really buy it. Third of all, I didn't say you had to move. I just said, just so you know, this has the potential to screw everything up, but I'm letting you have this. But I was like, um, okay. But eventually she goes, they must have oversold. And I'm like, wow. well, they don't really do that anymore because it's no longer it you know, humans. Like it's, it's the ticketing system where you can only buy the seats or whatever. Mm. And she's like, oh, well, then, you know what? I bet you're in the wrong theater. I'm like, I'm in the wrong theater for the movie that I'm going to see at this showtime or whatever. Yeah. And I said, you know what, ma'am? And more people kept coming in. And because she was so insistent that I was in the wrong seat, <laughs> I said, you know what? I am so sorry. I said, I'm going to go get the manager. No, I said, I'm going to go talk to the manager to see if I can get moved to another seat because I feel so bad that I would be in somebody else's seat. So me and my mom... <laughs> a little action waddle all the way over with our indignance. Uh, went over to the manager and we're like, hey, we're like, this old lady's in our seat, and um, if you truly did somehow oversold, which I doubt, but she claims it's possible, then you can put us in any seat. We just don't want to be in somebody else's seat, so can you put us in three seats together that's not already taken? And then she's like, I see your tickets." And I said, yep. And she goes, okay. Let's go talk to her. So they go in there. And the lady, the manager, goes up to the lady and goes, "Hey, ma'am." She goes, "These people bought these three seats. Um, can I see your tickets to make sure we didn't do it?" And then she goes, "No, we're in the right seats." And she's like, "No, I okay." And if that's true, we can figure that out. And but can I see your ticket to make sure that that? And then she starts rooting through her pockets again. She takes out before she hands it to him. She goes. This was the 3:50 showing that we were going to see. She goes, "Well, we came to the 2:05 showing and we bought tickets for that, but when we got here it had already started. So we decided to go to this one instead." And then the manager was like, "Okay, well that's not how movie tickets work. Um when you buy tickets to a showtime, you actually have to go see the correct one. Well, you guys started the movie early." When we got here, it was already started. Well, they're on an automatic system. (laughs) They can't start early. They could start late somehow, but they literally can't start earlier than scheduled.
1: Uh, Ain't that a bitch? And not the a vicious yeah. person to just like, say? "Is like, oh, maybe you came to the wrong showtime. Well, actually, we came for the yeah. other showtime. I'm just it, like, it are it you fun- projecting? Isn't okay. it funny when
3: the story changes, though? Yeah. That's
1: okay, right. and I know it's was long-winded, but mm-hmm. there's a whole full-circle irony well, I'm sure. to, to all of this. There are to all of your so stories, far, Nick. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so she's like, okay. What a
1: charmed <laughs> life
0: so she's like alright well ma'am she goes you got, you do have to get up because you don't have these seats and other people do and then she pointed to us three and she's like well put, give them other seats and then she The manager, who completely handled this professionally without trying to be condescending to her or anything like that, was like, well, they've already purchased these seats, so they get these seats. Uh, She goes, I can, for free, go exchange your two tickets for two tickets in here, but I have to go see which seats are available, and then I will come back. And she's like, well, make them move. And she's like, nope, I just said why I can't do that. So they got up. We, me and my mom, practically high-fived each other with our eyes, uh, (laughs) and then sat down in our seats. So the irony of all this is that the manager leaves, goes out to get you know the two seats, whatever, comes back in, and those two ladies went down one row and found two seats on the very end. So I see the manager come up to them, clearly say, these two seats are bought, like you can't sit here. But the two seats that are open are one row back up, which means they now are sitting on the very left of us instead of the very right. Which, if you haven't caught on, means that when I sat next to this lady and I said, hey, just so you know, if the people that own these seats come and ask us to move, we're going to have to move. And she was insistent that somehow we had done all this wrong shit. If she had just said, oh, okay, and kept to her stupid lie, no one would have had to move. Yeah. Because nobody bought those seats, yeah. which means no one would have came and asked us to move. So because she, for some reason, felt compelled to somehow tell me I was wrong when she was not even in the right showtime, not even whatever. Like It just boggles my mind that some people are so stupid that they are their own worst enemy at that point. And yeah.
3: now Nick is... And uh, now
0: I'm back. I was going to say... I'm he, back. He's back. If you're in the wrong seat, um, I, I don't care what it takes. Uh, I'm going to need to, you to move. Oh, yeah. Like, all right. And now, you know what? I think the manager is my best friend now. So uh, I will do everything in my power to make sure that you sit in the right seat because if you don't, we're gonna have a problem
2: very good,
0: so the Irishman
3: um I will start us off here, please uh um, yeah. uh I was so excited for this film when production was announced for this. Uh, It was pretty quick, I think, after Silence uh, was in the theater, that it was announced that this was going to be a thing. But just like with any property out there, until it's actually on film, on digital, whatever, um, uh, and actually released, especially in this day and age, I'm always got to hold myself back of being too excited because you never know what's going to happen. But as... Production went through, and this film eventually, even though it was pretty much a year later than thought it was going to be because of the de-aging techniques, uh, I was been holding back my excitement. Uh, and then, earlier this year, we had the release of the early promotional materials, which left something to be desired. Uh, and I was a little nervous, but as the promotional schedule went on, I felt like the trailers got better and better. And I was more excited, and then the early reviews came in, and they were just glowing for this and That's when I really started to get excited for this film uh and again, as I mentioned uh, it was a little, a little while ago in the episode now, but I mean Scorsese gangster films are my favorite films for the most part, and I like other movies too. I love Marvel movies, and I like Don't Star tell Wars a hit in that. <laughs> that's true uh but like. When when Scorsese's in his element telling gangster stories, it's some of the best work for my money when it comes to actual thematic experiences. So,
1: but how does it compare to Avengers Endgame?
3: Yeah, it's actually funny because they are the top two films on my rankings for the year so far. Oh, oh. who's on the top? We'll probably find out by the end of the episode, uh, <laughs> probably. So, at any rate, uh, I tipped my hand a little bit there, but I was still super excited for this. And even though there was a time when I was a little nervous about how this was going to come out, you thought it was was going to be dog shit. Pre movie jitters. I would think so. But at the same time, much like with Tarantino, I trust Martin Scorsese that he is going to put out a quality product. And I believe he delivered here, as I think The Irishman is just fantastic. Um,. I will say I've already put this into my Scorsese rankings, and it is not in my top three. Um, Even so, that's a
1: lofty like. Yeah, I mean,
3: again, my top three are in. Well,
0: for your interest and what Yeah,
3: yeah. My top three of his are in my top fifteen all-time films. So it's high praise for myself to even say it's up as high as it is. Um, But I think this film is absolutely fantastic, and. I definitely will at some time pretty soon be viewing it again in its entirety uh, as I am not willing to give it a perfect rating as of yet. And I will get into that more later when we do ratings. Um, But that being said, I think it is just on the outside looking in for being a perfect film. Uh, But there are always going to be some things I'm a little eh about. But even when I went back to rewatch some scenes a second time, There were some things that I was a little not so crazy about the first time that worked for me even better watching them. So I'll need to watch the whole film, start to finish again here soon. Um, Just the idea of these performers, most of which, uh, and I'm talking about the three main ones, De Niro, Pacino, and Joe Pesci, uh, most of which have uh, become shells of themselves in their later career where they have become willing – and Joe Pesci is a little bit exempt from this because he's been retired. But before he was, he was doing some real shit. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about like Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, Gone Fishing. He even came back and did that really weird Love Ranch movie a few like 10 yeah, yeah. years ago. Um, hard living, man. Hard living, yeah. hard dying. Um, but he was doing a lot of crap late in his career. Yeah. We know very much about De Niro and Pacino, some of the shit they've put out over the years yeah. uh, where they're willing to just do whatever just to get a, paycheck. I the think Dunkin with Donuts. Pesci
0: it was that more most people refused to take him seriously if he wasn't a gangster whereas Robert De Niro still had a bright spot every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Al Pacino ish. <laughs> but like Joe Pesci unfortunately I think I don't know I say this as one myself but if it's a small man syndrome or something but he had this certain look that people were not willing to take seriously which, outside of that one archetype.
3: Which I will say and I'll get to that in a minute but I think that that um, leads to a very interesting performance by him in this particular film. Yes. Uh, so kind of proves those people wrong. Uh, yep. Uh, so I will say, um, just again, just overall, I think this is a absolutely fantastic film. Um, start to finish, there's really something scene to scene... For me to chew on at almost every turn. Um, And I do think that this film never gets higher than it does in its first, I don't know, about hour or so. I think the first third of this film is by far the best. At least the first time through. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are so many little moments and nuances throughout this film that are just wonderful. And is the story that it is wanting to tell um, about a lot of regret... When you are older, and also a lot of betrayal that you do throughout your life, and also too, um, the idea of being um, almost, I don't want to say owned by somebody, but being so indebted to somebody.
1: In, yeah, indebted that to somebody. And making decisions that are contrary to what is in your heart. Yeah. What's the difference between loyalty and slavery? Um, loyalty. Trick is...
0: question. One's illegal.
1: Wow. I was gonna actually oh, have boy. something more, uh, more weird. philosophical to say, <laughs> yeah. but thank you for uh, being so pedantic.
3: But the interesting part about I
1: want I want to return to that point in my own turn. But okay, great. That's
0: oh man, that's like the hardest I've laughed at one of my own jokes in a long time. Yeah. The interesting. You, you mean, have a couple of them. About Frank
3: Sheeran uh, and his relationship with both Jimmy Hoffa and Russell Buffalino Mm -hmm. is that I don't necessarily know if any of those three are good people, Um, and I don't think the film really... Paints them in a light that they
1: are good people at all. But they're main characters, so they must be good people. So the film must be telling us that we should be like those people. Obviously. Which is like like a, a grade schooler's level of media analysis.
3: Yeah. Obviously, this film is not telling you that any of these are good people. But that's what Twitter says. Okay. So clearly uh Scorsese is showing that all these people are shit. Um, In my opinion, at least. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's different levels for sure. But the subsets of shit and then the also relationships that happen throughout the entirety of the lives of these people as they interweave together. And the other people who come and go throughout their lives and their families and their other friends. uh, I thought almost was just fascinating from start to finish. And the fact that it can actually be with De Niro and Joe Pesci and Al Pacino is just um you know just one of those things we're looking back on like this is such a great moment in cinematic history in my opinion only because this is really probably the end of the line for getting a great Martin Scorsese gangster film, and the fact that he was able to do it with those three actors as who knows how long any of those four will hey, be living. Yeah, you know,
1: Har- Harvey Cartel was in there too. So. Yeah,
3: but the. Well, I mean, games, he wasn't. I mean, yeah, 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 he was, he was in a, a but, but he was there. Mm-hmm. I know. Right, right, right. Um, these people will all be moving on, whether it be. To Di- the- to the, to the grave, <laughs> to the graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> whether it be dying, or it be retiring from acting, or whether it be just being not as involved, um, it's same thing with Martin Scorsese. Who knows how long he has left? Right. I mean, so the fact that I really wanted to see one more great gangster film from him, and the fact that he was able to deliver it with the two main characters from my two favorite Scorsese gangster films. Um, I just, one of those cinematic things that I will probably never be able to not gush over. Right, yeah. Um I just thought it was wonderful. The acting performance in this film uh, are so high level, in my opinion. I do think De Niro is actually quite good, even though I think he might be the worst out of the main three. Um, but I do think he's pretty solid. Um, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci are both absolutely fantastic in this film. And I actually thought the de-aging didn't really look that bad on either of them. I actually thought Al Pacino looked pretty good throughout the entirety of the film. You did say something about
1: like their eyes, which as soon as you said that I noticed it, especially that- Robert oh, De
3: Niro's. Yeah. I mean, and I know he was wearing blue contacts I think to look more like Frank Sheeran. But even so, just the CGI, first of all, I will say it's a little unfair because it's clear that he has the most screen time with the CGI face, and he also goes the farthest on the younger spectrum. So it is a a little unfair, but his definitely is the worst of the three. And uh, my brother uh, was texting me earlier today about the film. And I don't necessarily think he's right, but at the same time, as soon as he said it, I was like, "Mm, okay. Because I said, oh, you didn't like it. He's like, it was okay. It looked a little bit like the Polar Express. And (laughs) I was like,
2: ooh. Ooh, Ooh,
3: that's damning. Uh,
0: Just the vibe of every once in a while, something looks uh, a little off. Grossly uncanny valley to the point of monstrous.
1: The philly
3: Express, yeah and and I, I think, as the film wears on and they get closer to their actual age, that is less and less, mm-hmm. uh, but in some of those earlier scenes with de Niro uh it's not very good, mm-hmm. I don't think no. um and I thought again, some of the Joe Pesci early scenes, although there is some of that and, and a little bit, I guess with Pacino, I don't really notice it as much,
0: so yeah. no, and I think a lot of time Pesci and Pacino are framed so that they're never like Robert de Niro looking straight at a camera like there was a great profile of shot of pesci in one of the restaurants when he's supposed to be at its youngest in this mm-hmm. movie where he looks like joe pesci from casino you know mm-hmm. but like doesn't look uncannily mm-hmm. like it like it's just kind of like looks like it could have been photoshopped from that movie so yeah so i have a whole slew of notes uh that
3: i may or may not get to all of them But uh, I want to hear your guys' thoughts. But just, again, to recap, I absolutely love this film. Um, I'm probably a little bit higher on it than I should be just because I was so excited for it. And it ended up just delivering (gasps) to my expectations, which I thought was pretty much not possible. Mm. And um, I just am so excited this film happened and it ended up being as good as it was. So, yeah. Who wants to go next?
1: I'll go next. Um, Yeah, this is my... This is the first Scorsese film that I've seen since our episode on Mean Streets, which I very much enjoyed that film. Um I think I'm sort of in the same vein of uh Alex where I was sort of trepidatious about the early promotional material for this film. That weird um, audio. Yeah, I don't thing know. They released. I don't know uh, I don't know I don't know what was up with that. That doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't really tell me anything other than like this is a thing that exists and I'm just like mm, you- uh no don't do that um please do not do that um and then as you know as the trailer sort of progressively sort of following i didn't follow it probably as closely as alex did but i did watch every single trailer and i'm just like you know it's like uh that's gonna be a thing that i'm gonna watch i mean just because it's martin scorsese and he's one of our greatest living like american filmmakers uh and you know i gotta say that i really enjoyed it it's not as good as a marvel film but it's pretty great actually no i'm just kidding it's a lot better than a marvel <laughs> film um uh, yeah this film is is pretty incredible for the fact of it even existing even coming together that you have all of these very talented actors that sort of like have orbited in the proximity of scorsese's over uh, or people who have been associated with other people who were associated with it to have al pacino finally like sort of among those ranks of a of a great performance in a scorsese film it feels like it's a long time coming uh but if it had to if it had to be this long and it had to come come to head in this like it was worth it it was worth the wait and it's it's worth the work that actually went into making the film so i really really enjoy it one of the things that um i'm gonna mention that i don't think that alex mentioned is how wickedly funny this film is it is so it like like one of my favorite favorite parts of our experience of like communally watching it together was how many times we laughed at all the lines that were happening in this film there are too many to keep track of al pacino has one of the centerpiece ones where he's just like breaking down an office like as Jimmy Hoffa talking to his aides and like, You've, I'm going to prison. I'm going to prison. It's gonna be your fault. What, what,
3: what's great is how quickly he goes from twelve to midnight, or oh. from from you know eleven to zero, where he's just like, Yo, people, do this. Yo, this. I'm going to prison.
0: I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to prison.
3: I'm going to prison. You said to his fathers, to his fathers, <laughs> locals. Damn it! <laughs> like,
0: he also has these pamphlets that he's oh, yeah. waving. around I was going to mention that. I love that scene, which I think is a different Albert, <laughs> or at least a different no, it's part of same word, it. Okay, yeah. but uh, I love that because he—it's almost as if somehow these pamphlets have been glued to his hands because they are just <laughs> From like, how sweaty he is, yeah, How, how like, mad he just is, but Robert floating props at this yeah, point. The and Robert is Kennedy one of the funniest is, yeah.
1: sights. Kennedy has his nose up my ass. <laughs> like, um, but I think that one of my favorite. Favorite early lines is when uh, uh, Robert De Niro's character is like first being enlisted to sort of like shake people down for money, and he's like waiting outside the car. He's like, "Where's the money?" He's like, oh, "I don't know." He didn't have. He's like, "Wait a minute, what?" Well, Boy so said, "You tell me." He's, his mo- his mother died, and the hmm. funeral set him back a bit. It's like, "Yeah, that's what happened." Mother, his mother, his mother, she's been dying over and over for years now. <laughs> it's like,
3: oh my god. Well, there's a there's a great payoff to that too. Yeah, because when he brings it finally acquires this yeah. guy, brings him to be shaken I'll, I'll down. I'll come back
1: tomorrow. It's like around, around 10? Yeah, around, around, around oh, no. 10.
3: First of all, he asks if he can get a ride. And he says, no, nah, well, just ask your
1: mother if she can give you a ride. Yeah, and before, that that, and before that, Robert De Niro is like, swear on your mother. <laughs> swear on your mother yeah. while he's beating this shit out of yeah. him. Oh, my God. I mean, that's... Uh, there's other
3: good early scenes in the film before it gets really into the mm-hmm. the meat of the film. Ha-ha. Uh, when he's got the meat trailer, uh, that scene's great. When mm-hmm. he arrives with the empty meat trailer, he's like, oh! Well, I, don't I, 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 don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I, yep. yeah. I,
1: I when don't he's know. Yeah. When he's in the the court the courthouse and he's like, and I'm giving you a warning. He's like, yes, sir. And it's like, not you. If you ever disparage another hardworking man here, yeah. I'm just like, this is ridiculous, this kangaroo court.
3: Well, also, too, that makes it very clear for the audience of how deep the uh teamsters oh yeah had their nails in pretty much everything at that mm-hmm. point yeah. so yeah
1: solidarity oh man solidarity. That. okay so <laughs> solidarity. I, w- I will
3: say and I'm, I'm hijacking this a little bit for yeah. you two side. yeah that's okay but Go for um it. even though joe pesci does not deliver a signature joe pesci performance oh, no. and i will get into that a little bit later my feelings on that uh Al Pacino somehow conjures up his previous soul mm-hmm. and is able to give like a legit Al Pacino performance oh, in yeah. this film. Yeah. Like there's like he found some way to uh, actually have a like a real performance at times, but also embody his character from heat and any given Sunday and he's just full on just Salatarade. Like just his face yeah. and the way he talks and that ridiculous haircut he has. Um, to look like Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, oh man, Al Pacino was so great in this. Oh, oh, that just warms my heart.
1: I love the uh, the interplay between him and Robert De Niro when Robert De Niro walks out of the office when he's having his blow up. And he's like, where are yeah. you going? I was like, you can't talk to me like that. I didn't even see you in the yeah. background. Somebody somebody made a tweet where they they took those screen caps. And they're like, you know, when one of your mutuals, like, <laughs> writes a subtweet and you think it's aimed at you, but it's actually not. I was
3: just like, that is perfect. I love the end of that scene when he walks around and takes his coat back off. Yeah, it's like, game to stay. Yeah. Oh, man.
1: Like, oh, you got to think better of me than that, man. Come on. It's yeah. Like, that's good. Yeah. It's 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 pretty incredible. I actually went back and uh rewatched the first 2 hours of the film. So mm-hmm. just because I got distracted with something else, but it was really easy to just sit down and rewatch it again. It's like it's just a compulsively watchable sh- watchable like film. But I noticed that the first punctuating kill of the film is foreshadowing the actual most significant like kill of of the of the oh. film. Right, the way it kind of blew Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything yeah. about painting about painting houses and, until I started, you know, painting houses myself. And then it shows the gun, and then shows the shot, and it's so fast that you, it's, it's hard to register what exactly that is. But if you do go back, you're like, wow, that was, that's a flex. Martin Scorsese is just flexing on everybody. That's really, that's really good. That's, that's, that's. Like there's
3: a, there's a great line too about disposing of weapons, where he throws it into the river. He's oh, like, yeah. everybody uses spot. Yeah, if, if they, they ever d-
1: if they ever drain the water, they'll be able to arm a small <laughs> small army.
3: Like, Which is kind of funny because pretty shortly after that, we have all of the weapons going down to Florida for yeah uh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was so.
1: like, I didn't know what was going on at the time, so when I actually like saw them loading that stuff in, I was like, wait a minute, what's what year is this? Are they doing the Bay of Pigs? And then, like, the next like scene is them watching, like, the unsuccessful Bay of Pigs thing. I was like, oh my God. Can so, I
0: really quickly say about the idea of the killings and how that first one echoes that significant one at the end? But uh, the other thing, too, that, on that thread is that uh, I feel like this is the first time in this kind of unofficial Mafia trilogy where the first two films that he, of course, that he made in the 90s, like, I feel like those movies, even if I don't think it at all. Uh, Glorifies those protagonists. Do come down that there is a certain sexiness to being a gangster, like in your movements and, like even in the way you kill.
3: Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a gangster. Yeah, I I would say. Goodfellas slightly more so than Casino, but I know yeah, what you're but Casino yeah,
0: yeah. doesn't have as much of the whereas because of the not as much, but I mean you know what
3: I mean. There are real consequences in Casino where I'm Goodfellas, talking like in the way they yeah. carry themselves. Oh, okay. would, you know I what I mean? You. Like yep. their
0: sexiness and the allure sure. of it at its best. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think the Irishman through and through. Even at their most powerful, what I kind of liked is that.
1: What it means to live with those consequences?
0: No, what I was going to say is, like, these actions look like they're performed by 80 year old men, which is, like, not very graceful. Not very. Like, they look pathetic when they are carrying out their hits. They are not doing the. Like Clint Eastwood, man with no name, long shot, holding the shotgun and just doing one shot or whatever. Like when he does his first hit, it looks like a guy who is so scared of being caught. And I'm not saying that's that's the only reading on that or anything like that. But it has this kind of almost bumbling nature of it where I I just think it was kind of interesting that I feel like – it's one thing to say that those previous two films glorifies being a gangster, which I don't think it does and whatnot, mm. but, like, if you watch this and still think that, like, this is, I think, so far the opposite in the way that these bodies are moving through space and time. That There's just, it's just depressing throughout the way they carry themselves, the, you know, the way that they do enact any of their orders of business, so.
1: Mm. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think that it does sort of, like, strip away the, um what you sort of mentioned the aforementioned sexiness yeah. of of seeing like younger sort of actors going about it. It's like maybe there's something that kind of like comes with that or it's like, you know, most of the time these people are just scared shitless. Even
0: the beating that some of the people take don't look like they, they were rough, but they don't have that almost like calibrated, like perfect stomping, like mich- almost mechanic. Just yeah. Pow, 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 like Robert a- De
1: Niro has to, has to take a breath and step yeah. away before he then continues to then smash this man's hand into the curb.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I also want to talk about Anna Paquin because I know there's been some controversy surrounding her character and supposedly you know, the lack of of lines that character actually had. But I feel like she was probably one of the most significant like on-screen presences of the film, even though she doesn't have as much screen time as – you know the aforementioned major three. That means three, she used it three... even
0: more than most
1: people did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that just her her stage presence, just the at least the one significant line that she does have is so cutting, is so biting. After a, a very very significant moment, where it's just like just absolutely cuts this person to the core and wants nothing to do with them afterwards, and it's just a very powerful like presence of a, of a performance that I, I just really enjoyed that like i i want to rewatch it just so that i can keep closer taps on that character because i just feel like that character is the 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 silent but a wholly apparent reckoning for this one character and like all the things that come to bear on their soul for the things that they'd have to do She's
0: directly responsible for the hardest thing that Robert De Niro has to do in the entire movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is also, I think, while I agree with Alex that he's maybe given the least performance in this movie out of the three, uh, that scene is probably mm. the best acted scene, I think, for me, just in a one, you know, like from s- start of the scene to the end of the scene. Yeah. His phone call to Joe Oh, is, that
3: that scene is so great because like he's not giving like a cartoonish version of trying to concoct lies as he's telling it like he's genuinely trying to be what he thinks he would be but he's not nailing it as much as he probably thinks he is yeah and it's just uh so good yeah yeah
1: it's it's uh it's an incredible film i really do enjoy it like We'll probably talk about it more and like as we circle around again. But like, yeah, I just I loved it. Yeah, Nick. Yeah, uh, I'll keep my <laughs> opening thoughts brief because
0: I think we're about ready. But to like jump into it, but I very much enjoyed this. I thought it was fantastic. Um, just to give a little counterbalance, I do think mm-hmm. this is not going to change anybody's mind about Scorsese, which is also what I think makes it good, like he's doing what he's good at, and if not great at. Um, But I don't know that it had to be three and a half hours, personally. But everything that was here was good. I thought the performances were fantastic. I thought, for the most part, um, this is... I probably prefer this to both Casino and Goodfellas, because this is definitely what I wanted more from. (laughs) That I sometimes get underwhelmed by those two, which is an actual kind of reflective attitude, not that gangster films has to have that, obviously that's a choice, but I very much welcomed it here, and I appreciate the fact that it's coinciding with uh you know these four legends, the uh, director and the three actors, kind of twilight years that of course it would take this long before they start to really reckon with like has every career choice but good and you know and i think there's a real uh spiritual connection between Mm. the Mm -hmm. the mafia guys that they play and also the uh the industry people that they are and i and i absolutely love that angle um i gotta say what really makes me love this movie like uh compared to some of the other elements at play is that i think this is probably the best and so I don't like there would never be another one, but uh Jimmy Hoffa movie we're ever going to get. And I like that this movie isn't explicitly about Jimmy Hoffa, as in he's not the focus. But I think it is probably best summed up that, like, I think the best version of a Jimmy Hoffa movie is where Jimmy Hoffa can't even be the main character in his own movie. You know, because he will always be a supporting player in the organizations that he ends up, you know, being uh,
1: entangled with,
0: yeah, affiliated with and whatnot. So, uh, I think Al Pacino is giving maybe his best performance here in a long time, if not forever. Um, mm-hmm. I think everything involving him is fantastic, whether it's a moment of comedy or a moment of drama. And I think the loyalty and the banter between him and Robert De Niro were the high points of this movie. I, it's funny because the, a great
3: scene, um, actually, probably one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie is the uh, award presentation evening, which is a pretty long scene. It's actually like 25 minutes, um, and there's a lot happening in that one scene where uh, he's, uh, De Niro is receiving his award for... Being the head of whatever
1: Teamsters oh, yes. thing he's part of. He was elected president of like a chapter. And-
3: no, this is after that. And I don't remember exactly the reason why yeah. he's... But it, at any rate, he's getting some sort of presentation of something. Uh, and everything that happens in this scene... and Again, it's a very long scene. But we have individual moments between de niro and pacino de niro oh, yeah. and pesci two also, sides of
0: the, of the triangle are almost yeah. always con, uh conversing at one point
3: pacino and pesci have their only one-on-one scene in this entire scene. movie yeah yeah um and then we have another scene involving pacino or sorry uh pesci and de niro where the ring ceremony happens and that all weird shit mm-hmm. um and then all of the events surrounding here. Even we even have uh, what's his name, the guy who plays Silvio Dante, uh, playing <laughs> the singing guy who's yeah. giving a very Scorsese-like performance up there. We have the dancing people on stage as people are dancing in the crowd. We even get Anna Paquin uh, dancing with Al Pacino's Jimmy Hoffa and a very awkward look from Joe Pesci looking on as there is all kinds of weird vibes coming from him throughout the entirety of the film, which obviously Peggy picks up on. Mm -hmm. Um, That scene's just fantastic. There's so much involved in it, so much that comes from it, but what I was specifically referring to is uh, when De Niro basically tells him that they're going to kill you if you keep doing this, and he's like... They it's, wouldn't
0: dare. It's
1: been decided. They wouldn't dare. It's and been decided. You
0: know, almost he doesn't believe
1: that shit. Oh either. yeah, well,
0: because the language there is "they." And that's yeah. what, and it's kind of like, I would which, say Hoffa knows how things are going to happen, which means that no, like the only way this would happen is if they use you to do it, and like we're you good. wouldn't do it, yeah. which which actually that's the tragedy.
3: Joe Pesci delivers probably the best line of the whole movie right before this exchange happens when he tells Robert De Niro's character Frank Sheeran that if they can kill a president, they can kill the president of a, um organization or yeah. whatever he is, Jesus. or president. And that's just cutting straight to the chase yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, these are powerful people. And also, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm geeking out. No, 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 please, please, but, keep. Uh, this is your episode, buddy. The The look on Joe Pesci's face after he says, well, Jimmy's a big deal, too. Just the way he smashes his face together to say,
0: nah, is he? Oh,
3: yeah. Uh, Joe Pesci's he's, so good in this. He's up there. Yeah. It's like, so good. He's no, very, very it, good. It makes my heart so happy that they were able to dig him up and get him to come out and do this movie. Yeah, because F- he didn't want to do it. First. And, and and he's not Joe Pesci in this at all. Oh, yeah. no. He is so reserved in this, which I think makes his portrayal even better because it connects the audience to with who I'm guessing what the real Russell Buffalino was actually like even more. Because you're thinking more about God, this guy is so reserved and not as fiery as the usual gangster. Which it's serving dual purposes there. He's playing
1: against type, and it's all the better for it in that. But know, it's I'm also seeing see it's such a good performer. You see though, his character. Right? Yeah. He's such a good performer, and he's so unlike how the the sort of type that he's been typecast into. That you see his character first and foremost, and not so much mm-hmm. himself. Even though it, he's. he's He is who he is, and he's awesome. Not to
0: mention, I think the idea, too, at least for me, that was that play is that Joe Pesci, we've seen him in Martin Scorsese films, you know, as what we're talking about, that archetype of him. Mm -hmm. But I feel like having that in the back of our mind does the heavy lifting. We we don't have Mm -hmm. to actually see Russell hold a gun or do something to know what he's capable of, because we do kind of have this real-world relationship with Joe Pesci, the performer, that is like because this movie doesn't call for it script wise, they do not have to like force it. And we're still, I mean, the performance in and of itself sells it completely. Mm-hmm. But I like that the real world context of what we expect from him is also always kind of under the surface of like, if things went worse than they do in the movie, because if anything, they go okay in the sense that the rate Joe Pesci is able to solve his problems, mm-hmm. eh, you know, to a degree of whatever. Uh, But that that is always a possibility, that he could erupt at any time. But um, yeah, I'll end my opening thoughts and just say that I'm excited to dig through a bunch of different random sequences because I actually think that's what makes this movie is that while I didn't personally love the start-to-finish like overarching structure because it was the same structure he always does, though props to Thelma Schumacher who basically always, what I assume, takes an unwatchable mess as far as like what Scorsese gives her and makes it into one of the most enthralling ways to kill three hours because there's no way that... I mean, you think of how short a lot of... In these kind of movies, at least his Mafiosa pictures, how how short a lot of these scenes are, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, that's a sprawling and almost thankless task to somehow not only put it to screen... where it makes sense but then also to make it fly by like it does so props to her as always Um, but I will say on a scene by scene basis I was certainly eating it up and um, I think the whole dramatic inertia at the center of uh, De Niro's character of Frank is kind of one of the most if not the most fascinating gangster he's created Scorsese uh, because at the end of the day we don't actually we, Frank is almost almost the most sympathetic gangster he could create, so to speak, compared to the previous ones, because while he is never less than complicit with the actions that you know but his gangster comrades are performing, because he's doing it too and whatnot. Unlike the previous two, and I would consider like you know Henry Hill and uh, Ace Rothstein and. Uh Joe Pesci in either one of those movies um unlike those people that came before, he actually never looked like he's having any fun or happy about any of this like there are moments of ecstasy for those gangsters that came before him and and the I would say the almost like high they get off of the power. This is so much more of a company yes man character, and that's kind of the whole point and the way and that's why he identifies with Hoffa so much, because Hoffa's standing up for guys like him, just not in his particular mm-hmm. line of business. Uh and that's why he sees a savior almost in that character. But you don't get a scene of him snorting cocaine off of a prostitute's back and it's not because people around him weren't doing that is because that wouldn't... In fact, the only time, he, I think I think it's implied, the only time he ever strays from his marriage, we see the one scene. I actually don't think he does it ever again after that. He pretty much kind of looks uncomfortable with it Yeah. after the fact, because he, sees the, like, wait- it's never, he it's,
1: sees the waitress. It's never a good time to leave oh, yeah, your well, wife, that, but that, that was the time that's that when I he
3: learn. literally leaves his first wife and Goes to his new one then. Yeah.
1: yeah, but that's what I mean though. Like, oh, okay. I, I don't think he,
0: from that point on, looks behind him at like what else he could have. I think from that, like, I think his loyalty starts to get so rooted in like. That's really not part of the story in this film at all for any of these characters, really. No, chasing, but I, I don't think women, that it's yeah. not not happening for certain characters. No. I mean, uh, some, some characters, some very minor characters, make fun of or make jokes about. It. I mean, Ray Romano's character is literally marrying. Uh, the whatever he caught, isn't he? No,
3: it's, it's his daughter getting married at the
1: end. It is really weird.
0: Okay, you know what? That confused the hell out I, of I me. I understand that. I'm, I'm the saying what you were. The, the way like, they were walking
1: down the, mm-hmm. the aisle aisle, I was just like,
0: the well, and he stayed up there though. Like yeah, it was well, weird he's giving her away. I know, and I got yeah. confused because we I felt the same way you did. We didn't really watch know. it with subtitles, which I s- normally do. So, yeah. which is fine. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna miss a few things, especially in a movie that goes this fast. So I generally thought not that he was marrying his daughter, but that he was marrying a younger person yes okay i, I understand what you're saying why that you makes more that. sense <laughs> yep.
3: i thought the same thing the first time and then when i went back i was like oh okay, okay. there's even a line of dialogue where they mentioned they're going to her wedding and he's giving his daughter away to the second time after the first guy was a piece of
0: shit or something like it was that. so weird because i remember when that scene started and they were moving i'm like oh he's giving his daughter away and then for whatever reason the moment they got up to the altar i'm like oh he's marrying her yeah because of the way it was blocked. He's standing here yeah uh but okay all I mean, right That makes a lot more sense then. If anything, that makes me more charitable towards that character. Because I was like, why did they. um, He seemed like. Not like he was a good guy, but like he didn't seem like a
1: person who would do that. Well, hello. Where is this coming from? It (laughs) turns out. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, So. um, So anyway. um,
0: But like I said, to end it on that note, is that I don't think Robert De Niro as Frank is in this for the glory. And like he just, you know. It really is a working a, stiff until it yeah, wasn't. It wants to be a good boy, so to speak. And yeah. um I think that's the only ounce of humanity that we can latch on to and sympathize with not so much that we can agree with his actions or whatever but there is a human pathos and tragedy behind a man who is quite literally loyal to a fault uh, and when he does these things he's not even like okay with it because you can have the Henry Hills or whatever have their like mental psychotic freak after they do things and you can say like oh you know that's him atoning for it but it's like reality no they're just like Pissed off that they even feel anything after, therefore, like they're just trying to work out that kind of rage.
3: Yeah, I will say it's a little hard in Goodfellas and also Casino because those are based on accounts from people actually giving their accounts of what happened. And those people also went out of their way to not incriminate themselves oh, in their absolutely. accounts, so they're probably not actually factual. Which I totally agree with. I and then that. they're but in in doing so, those two characters never really do anything that's that bad in those films, right? Like they're. Doing drugs. It's always the other one. And they know about things, but they're never never directly involved with anything that's like murder. And here is the
0: opposite. It's like Frank's really not oh, gaining yeah. anything from this, and yet he's also carrying out orders mm-hmm. that even at some times he doesn't agree with and whatnot. So. Which
3: um, I guess I'll go into yeah. one of my. Oh. oh, yeah.
0: No, no, no. Just because I will also say I'm a huge fan of when a movie has a killer final line. And in my opinion, this is probably this year's best closing line in a movie. Mm. Uh, but would you leave the door open just a little bit? <laughs> that coupled with the actual shot, but I, I think the line in and of itself is significant too. But I think the idea that if that door is closed, then he's truly alone and it's, it, you know... Truly, <laughs> leaves it so that nobody can walk through, and yet for some reason he still has hope that somebody would. And it's uh, obvi- is uh, one of the most gutting things. Of
3: obviously, the movie. a great callback to to everything happening with Pacino's character earlier in the film, too. Yeah. Where leaving the door open, yeah. leaving the door open, and why he wanted the door right. to be open and everything. So it's it's yeah it's it's nice. Yeah. Uh, so I will say um, probably the most interesting part of the film to me is the relationship between uh russell buffalino and frank sheeran uh early on in this film uh even the way that they meet each other is kind of by chance um and joe pesci helps him out with something like that and clearly has this you know persona of being this you know I knew he was a important person. Maybe he owned the gas station. Um, and then he finds out really who he is later on he in the, owned film. the whole highway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but as the film progresses on, um, looking at Joe Pesci's character, kind of like a pimp, uh, is very interesting because just some of the lines of dialogue that I specifically wanted to go back and rewatch and they were verbatim pretty much for how I was remembering them are really haunting. Um, really, he says multiple times throughout the film to Frank Sheeran uh, when discussing events that have either happened in the past or are going to happen in the future, uh, he says, over and over, he says, do you know how strong I made you? Um, And just sort of trying to create this idea that ownership and that I made you this strong, just the implied idea that, you would be nothing without me, um, is is very interesting, especially in the whole pimp prostitute kind of parallel I'm making. Everything that De Niro does early on is him getting a taste of the good life and him getting to live on yeah. and all these things. And then They're
1: not paid, they're favors that are then Repaid well, with other favors. Even
3: before that, he's just kind of given this idea that you can go help out and deliver the meat, and right. you can be involved in this. And it's when he has his very first slip up, which is when he bombs whisper or uh, bombs the um, the laundromat. mat that's yeah. owned by Almost Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Well, yeah, owned by Harvey Keitel. Um, he's told by Harvey Keitel, "You don't know how good of a friend you have. This guy is a really good friend." And then later in the film, "You don't know how strong I made you." And he literally just repeats a line that he says verbatim um, <clears throat> to uh, Sharon Stone in Casino, where he says, no one can fuck with you anymore. Mm. Um, and that is yeah. just the implied ownership of that. Um, while at the same time trying to create strength uh, is – is oh, it's just so interesting. And he follows this uh, – Buffalino does – all the way through to his death, even in that really awkward prison scene uh, at the end, which is fan fucking tastic. Well, when he's going to church. Well, but before that, uh, they're actually sitting at a table eating when they're having grape juice and dipping their bread mm-hmm. into
1: it. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Pesci, basically. Look, Jimmy Huffle. Jimmy was a good guy.
3: Yes, he comes back and starts talking about. You know, he was actually a pretty nice man. I always felt bad what happened to him. It's like, oh god, it's like this is work, so bad. Don't
1: you don't have to You're live such with such a terrible person? You don't have to live with that. Like, yeah. I literally have to live with that every day.
0: But um, yeah, but I. Like you just brought up, though, too, the the fact that that line comes with the grape juice is, like, just that much sweeter. <laughs> uh, because I just love the kind of, like, the literal, I don't know, visual metaphor there of, like, trying to relive the glory days in a way. But in this, in somebody like Joe Pesci's character, he has the luxury to try to rewrite his own narrative and where he stood back then because... He was able to get other people to do the actual bad shit. You mm-hmm. know? And well, and also. Ravi doesn't have that luxury. You no. Know,
3: Two, he tried to create this idea of inclusion, giving him the ring and saying that, oh, he's part of a club, but he's not really part of a club. Kind of very similar to Henry Hill. He's not a made man, he's yeah. not actually part of it. He's just their lackey for the most yeah.
0: part. It, 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 for me, it's like Robert De Niro is mistaking protection with stipulations mm. as, as love. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's not the same thing at all. Which
3: his daughter obviously sees straight through. Um, oh, my goodness. The scene where she receives the ice skates and then oh finds, God. oh, I think Santa put a little some extra in there. and she <laughs> got the $100 bill. The look she gives Joe Pesci. After, oh my God, that is
0: just telling such a story yeah. without any dialogue. Mm-hmm. Well, they have an entire little mini arc uh, that runs throughout the film, which we had kind of commented on. But mm-hmm. the idea that she's never okay with, obviously, with uh, Russell at all because of what not only he represents, but what he is getting out of her father and turning him into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love the idea that when it does like, really come to a head when she's enamored as a child with Jimmy Hoffa because Jimmy Hoffa knew how to talk to children. He also gives
3: her ice cream. There's something, I, I'm going to get into this too, but there are two things that this film really focuses on with Jimmy Hoffa as character detail, which I don't know if they're good or bad character detail. I think they're probably good. But it is obsessed with the idea that he fucking loves ice cream. Oh, yeah. As he is shown eating ice cream. Although it does come back as it's not mentioned. It just keeps showing him eating ice cream. Uh, when he gets out of prison, De Niro's character goes and brings him the hot dogs, mm. and he has the line of dialogue says, the only thing that he liked more than ice cream were these specific hot dogs. I don't know. That was fantastic. He was
0: eating ice cream when Kennedy was assassinated.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> holy shit. We got to get into that, too. Oh, yeah. Just his reaction to that is pretty good. And then how about having the flag raised back after that? Mm. Oh. Yeah, after Whoa. leaving
0: the Teamsters building yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Mm. That, that's Hey, pretty...
3: put that back up. Mm-hmm. Oh, holy shit. Holy <laughs> um, <laughs> shit. So the other, uh, oh shoot, I had it right there. Oh no, oh no, this Joe is... Pesci and Frank. No, no, uh, this oh boy. was. Uh, oh brother, this was. Uh, or no, you were going to talk about Peggy? No, I was talking about um, Jimmy Hoffa and Pacino. And, uh, was,
0: oh no, because I had mentioned about Peggy with Joe Pesci and Jimmy Hoffa and the vying attentions between the two of them, and I yeah. thought you would go off of that tangent.
3: Okay. No, I have it. I'm back. We're back. I was talking about the two character traits, one of which was his continuous eating of ice cream, and then the other one is actually almost annoying at some point is his continuous insistence on calling anybody who doesn't. He doesn't like a cocksucker. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, there's a
1: montage on Twitter.
3: He has to say it like 80 times throughout the film. It is way over the top, and it must... it. It better be like an actual thing that Jimmy Hoffa did because it is way. It's definitely saying something, and I don't know what it is. But this may be
0: offensive, <clears throat> but I'm gonna say it. Freudian. Well, I, I mean, you no, know, yeah, but uh, I, I was gonna say, does it have anything to do with J. Edgar Hoover? Could, could. I just, sure. as far as, okay, because bear with me here. Mm-hmm. I just think of, like, people in this certain power, whether it's mafiosa or, you know, just the leader of anything that mm-hmm. kind of gains an, you know, almost unnaturally unbalanced, you know, version right, of right whatever. But I'm assuming that J. Edgar Hoover in general is an enemy to all of them, uh, in a, in a sense. And so I don't know why, but I feel like. I don't know. I just thought maybe there was some weird residual hatred from that guy, and then so he's conflating almost subconsciously with the presumed actions of, if not at at one point one of the biggest uh, you know uh, adversaries. With uh, I, I, I don't know why, but I randomly got a weird J. Edgar Hoover Hoover vibe from that whole.
3: Thing. I could see that. I don't know why. It's not just one person because the most is Tony Pro, who he calls that, but. He is not only calling Tony Pro that he's calling a lot of other people. Also, Stephen Graham as Tony Pro, also was fantastic. I thought. Is that
0: mm. the small guy or the small? Or yeah, he's the guy group? who okay. he um,
3: came
1: in, came to the meeting in a speedo, short shorts, and
3: oh, he came in, in shorts. But yes, oh he's, boy, he's, he's the that guy. Meeting's great. That is great. Uh, their conflict in prison is also great. <laughs> um and the you people line which is not the first time that somebody's used that but that was also pretty damn good uh but that meeting is so good later on in the film when they're all sitting there and after he tries to give him the olive branch and whatever and then he goes back and it's just two people just eating each other and having a pissing contest and there is a great cut that goes to De Niro where he's just kind of like manically laughing. He's like, ha, 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 come on, Jimmy. It's I don't know. It was just great. Yeah. That um, That is some fantastic editing there. But, yeah, I mean, that just pretty much ends with him saying, I'm going to murder your grandchildren. <laughs> and it, It's just uh, very fucked up. But Stephen Graham is absolutely fantastic on Boardwalk Empire uh, playing Al Capone. And he's really having a lot of the same characteristics in this character. And it is just wonderful, in my opinion. Yeah. So we were talking. I'm sorry I've got so much that I'm trying to spew out here. But we were talking before about uh, Peggy and... Oh, yeah. um, And was there any more you wanted to pull on that thread? Well,
0: I was just going to sum it up by saying I I like that, uh, you know, her loyalties, so to speak, uh between those two men are mm-hmm. very pronounced and very public too, because it's not so much it it's when she at, when they're at that wedding or whatever they're at that a wedding, I can't remember the, uh, the scene, where she dances with uh Jimmy or that the, 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 the award ceremony. Yeah, yeah, so, the, okay. that yeah award ceremony. so the award yeah. ceremony is when she asks Jimmy to dance, you know, at the wedding and whatnot when she's grown up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the look Joe Pesci mm-hmm. gives her and I love that I, you know, I feel like in another director or whatever, there could have been a danger of somehow almost subliminally making Pesci's character look like a pedophile. Like, you know, as far as that, that that could have been an undercurrent of, you know, whatever. But I, Scorsese and Pesci, you know, they're pros or whatever, that I never actually bought that that was in any way. He's just
1: sort of envious of that adoration.
0: Yeah, Um, and the the fact that he doesn't have it and what that says. And I think that that's also one of the reasons why he'll never completely trust Frank. Um, I'm, but I, I think like he doesn't trust a person that quote unquote can't keep, you know, his daughter's quote unquote in line, which he can in a way, not for long, but, yeah. um, but I actually think that it's kind of funny how Peggy I think is directly responsible for, uh, uh, Russell's kind of seeds of distrust in him in the mm. way that she treats uh, him and and it's kind of like she's sabotaging her dad well, but, not,
1: but not intentionally because she's just able to see right through people and yeah. that why was she you have to think she gave a presentation on Jimmy Hoffa for her like sort of like
3: wearing the pin too. wearing
1: the pin and everything and talking about all the great things that he does like who else could? Who who else of, of her father's associates could she like make an honest presentation for, including her own father? Who couldn't even do that for her own father, or or any of the other people who's associated yeah. with Jimmy Hoffa, though. Like he is an exception. Like even even uh, Robert De Niro's character like points the fact of it, and he's like, you know what? He doesn't have a name, like whispers or like the knife, or he doesn't stomp on people's hands like I do. And it's like he sort of that's like a moment of of, of self awareness. Like, oh wow. It's like well, I, he al-
3: he also isn't someone who got caught or got yeah. got whacked either. He right. was somebody who understood how to slide under suspicion from right. from whoever, and also command this. um I guess, envious level of respect, but if you really peel back the onion, he's just a really horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, all um, are.
0: We really need to talk about probably the most dramatic moment in the entire movie, which is did. Oh boy. This is like hard for me to get out. Shut um, up. Did Jimmy Hoffa's son actually buy a fish? <laughs> That seems great. It is, yeah,
1: that's that is. So you bought a fish. What kind of fish? I don't know. That's, easily... that, that,
3: that's really Martin Scorsese at his best, right there. Oh
0: yeah, that's. But that was the hardest. I was laughing at the whole movie for, for good reason, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah.
1: But just... how do you
0: not know
3: what fish you bought? <laughs>
1: I'm just it... I'm just trying to get this story straight. If I ever have to relate it to somebody else, the fuck who you gotta relate it to is like, oh, be careful back there, like your son. You got a fish. Well,
3: it's also great too because when Pacino does get in the you never put a fish in your car. Just... <laughs> I know, Never you've taken it I so face. literally. Yeah.
0: Uh... <laughs> But I, I love that scene because it is genuinely hilarious while never ceasing to be terrifying. Because if this conversation goes off the rails, uh, I could have seen a version where his son got whacked for almost like no reason. Just, oh, absolutely! Just to like tie up loose ends. Yeah. If this whole you know conversation didn't, he's end, all he's end all hopped up on
1: murder. Like you don't right. want to you don't want to get on this bad this guy's bad side. Uh, later
3: on, when uh, there's uh, a monologue being given by uh, Frank Sheeran about everyone who is involved in jimmy hoffa's murder actually ended up going to jail they couldn't prove the murder but they went for something else that he's like even his son he went to tent for 10 months for something with a car or something just his not being able to actually explain what it was is uh pretty fantastic yeah that seems very good um all the characters involved in that scene and even uh, just the way it's presented uh I feel like Jimmy Hoffa almost looks like a child, not knowing if it's okay to get into the car or not. He's kind of looking like, this doesn't seem right, but I know all you, yeah. so this is probably Frank's fine. here, so yeah. That's right. Oh, Ooh, boy. Yeah, that sucks. Although, very similar, very similar uh, to when uh, Joe Pesci's character of Tommy DeVito gets killed in Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. As soon as he walks in the house and sees no one else in it, he, Mother... he very quickly realizes that something is off uh and he immediately wants to leave and it's that's so well done and even though this is very much potentially fictionalized in terms of how the actual events went down, whatever right. just the idea of De Niro, this is his only chance and he just, is it, not the prettiest hit he does no. as he's running out the door and he just kind of has to quickly put the gun to his head and yeah. it's just, oh, just the way it all plays out and oh, and I get
0: the feeling that if he didn't do it in the split second he did, he would not have had the nerve to mm-hmm. do no. it at any other moment. Yeah. and that's why it comes out so uh, unnaturally forced. Yeah, it's, it's really heartbreaking
1: yeah. given the fact that you know, like Jimmy Hoffa enters the house, he sees that nobody's there, he becomes immediately suspicious, mm-hmm. he turns to Frank, he walks past Frank. Had he only like looked down and saw the gun in his hand. He might have, but he never even thought, he never, in, in the end, he n- never thought to even second-guess his friend.
3: What's also great, too, um, is that Frank is trying to hide that he has the gun with him. Mm-hmm. And, and Hoffa even asked, do you have your little friend with you? He's like, oh, yep, got her right here. Uh, just, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Something bad could happen there. Oh, yeah. no.
1: You he can't never, trust these guys. Never... Oh, <laughs> never doubted. I want
0: to praise, even though he's no. not yep. in the movie for much, especially not as much as I would have liked, mm. but I do think Ray Romano was a great addition to Scorsese's uh, little revolving door. Mm. Uh, because I've always thought him as an underutilized, like I know he's uh, the dopey guy from Everybody Loves Raymond, but A, he's very good at that. But B, he's been doing a lot of great dramatic roles uh, in roles that not a lot of people have seen. He was a, a film that I didn't really love. I thought he was one of the best parts of The Big Sick. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and Holly Hunter are pretty much my favorite parts of that yep, movie. I would agree. Um, he's great in that. He was just in a very random little movie, which wasn't very good, but he was great in it, called Paddleton or something, with uh, the, one of the Duplass brothers. Oh, okay. It, it was a cancer drama, mm. so it was very at your heart treat. He I'm played, sorry, j-
3: just, just the name of it. I don't know why. I can't remember what
0: it's called. Uh, it's like Paddleton or it, Paddle something. It was named after the ball game. Maybe Paddington. Every time I see it, I think of Paddington. So oh, yeah, it's, no, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, But his best dramatic role, just Evan, I'll get right back to, but uh, in the show, which was always mediocre at best, but always had great moments, but Parenthood, which was created by Jason Koteem, the guy who brought Friday Night Lights to the small screen and for one of the greatest television shows of all time. Mm. But later on in the show, I think the show hit its peak when it introduced a character of Ray Romano because he wasn't in the earlier parts of the show. As an adult who finds out he has autism. And I've never seen that kind of storyline play out Hmm. in fiction in general. And he plays it so good because he's introduced with his neuroses and social awkwardness. But it's never really, not clear, but you know, you take it whatever way you want to but then like the next season they start to pull that back and he mm. officially goes and gets diagnosis and how heartbreaking that is for him. Not because he now thinks of himself differently, but it questions what he's done up until mm. that point. And, mm. uh, it's just, he plays it beautifully and that's mm. one of his. And so anyway, ever since that moment, I've always thought he should do more dramatic roles. And this is sort of a comedic role for him, obviously, but he very much stands up there with all of them in the room and can, uh, hold it together. I mean, uh, <laughs> his his line with uh, uh, Frank at the very beginning when he's like, "So you know, I'm your I'm gonna represent you no matter
1: what." So um, you know. But you know, you could you, you can tell me if you yeah you know you, could, you, you want to know if I did it yeah well you know, you know like, well, 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 I, I worked very hard for them you know when I'm I wasn't stealing from them. Oh,
0: yeah okay and it's funny though because at that point I don't think we know. Explicitly, how tied he is, like how connected, well connected. I mean, we know there's a reason why he's in that chair and whatnot. But it's literally the very next scene when I think he takes him, or is it, that's the scene before. I can't remember.
3: No, it's later on. I mean, they show that he is a Buffalino as well because he's yeah. his cousin. But, but you never
0: it, know if someone's ostracized. But like yeah. when he brings him through the restaurant, it's, it's
3: either it's either the next scene or the scene after that. It's very soon yeah. after that where he's in the restaurant and, and giving the. Formal introduction, yes,
0: which yeah. I thought was like legit as shit. Because that, because I thought he was actually kind of a buffoon, uh, and that maybe he was just like the joke of the family or something like that.
3: But or is he actually kind of like in behind the cat in the labra? He's actually like Scott Bakula's character, where he's really just looking out for more punting for him.
0: Oh, I'm sure he is, <laughs> but he's clearly. In it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because he is the one. It's not like he's handing them off to somebody else, but he actually gets to make the rounds and basically, at least for a moment, pretend like he's just... He has a role to play. Oh, absolutely. And he is okay with playing it.
3: But again, I think he's he's, uh, definitely portrayed more as a scout uh, and a really um, tied-in lawyer uh, that has a purpose for all of them, so... Uh, So one aspect that I wanted to mention, which is a really silly um, sort of offshoot that this film has, um, but I thought it was wonderful and also a very good telling scene for the relationship building between Jimmy Hoffa and Frank Sheeran, and it comes in their first action together which is where um frank is brought in and has his first opportunity with him where he destroys all the taxicabs. um the scene that follows is the guy who's his current number one explaining how things are done and also explaining that jimmy doesn't like to drink he also doesn't like watermelon so we're gonna put alcohol and watermelon but The thing that's great about but we like
1: watermelon.
3: So here's the thing: Um, the fact that this this clueless, bumbling buffoon totally thinks he's getting away with it is great. Uh, And then he looks crazier
0: than he probably would with just like having a bottle. Because he's
3: just sitting there, just manically eating watermelon. Then during this meeting, like a squirrel, yeah. Uh, and then, doesn't everybody want any of this? Jimmy, Why is to say, you know I don't like watermelon.
0: Um, but... And Robert De Niro hasn't, like, touched it. His... Oh, no, no.
3: He's very, very much, and he keeps looking down at it and looking at Jimmy Hoffa, and it's awesome just because he obviously knows what's going on, and this fucking other guy is thinking he's totally pulling this off, and yet he's just, for some reason, like, eating an entire watermelon in a short 12-minute meeting, uh, and it is... Oh, it's pretty great. That was I
0: completely forgot about it until you brought that up. But <laughs> yes, yeah, so that is one of the best, uh, the high points of that movie. Um, it's
3: just such a little
0: fun little gag. And I, there's actually a lot, I think, here about people, you were just talking about Ray Romano quote-unquote playing his part, but this movie actually kind of suggests that the mob only works if there are a bunch of people that just play their part, and not just in that obvious haha moment as far as like people have to carry out their orders, but there are a lot of stooges in the mob. Like yeah. There are a lot of dumb people who get to where they are because at the end of the day, they don't know any better, and it's perfect to keep them where they are. If you can't and, spell conspiracy like, without You know complicity. they're not going to cross you if they're just too focused on how even, they can drink in a watermelon. Even
3: in instant- some <laughs>
0: and that's, not drink at all.
3: That's what's so awesome about what happens throughout the rest of the film is exactly what we're talking about Jimmy Hoffa in his one of his early um meetings with Frank Sheeran yeah. talks all about why he keeps someone who yes. isn't the brightest as his number two? Because I don't really want him to challenge me as number one. Which mm-hmm. obviously comes back to completely bite him. Is after he goes to jail, then that guy ascends and everybody loves him because he'll do whatever nigga. they want. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it is—it's um, interesting. And then you have there's also a great moment later on in the film where um, there's just back and forth of um, FitzSimmons, I think it is, and and Jimmy Hoffa pretty much going back and forth on bombing each other's properties. Yeah, that montage um, was
2: great. Yeah, it's pretty good. Even then, the, the little cut. Well, I was going to
3: say that it ends with uh, Jimmy Hoffa's wife being fired from her job and unlike that horrendous trailer for that new Mark Ruffalo Todd Haynes film which has him, oh boy, did somebody put a bomb in my car. Like this is actually earned mm-hmm. of someone like literally thinking oh no is it too late am i going to die um yeah.
0: yeah uh actually to return to one thing i had said earlier about how i think this movie particularly with frank shows how pathetic gangsterism looks when you're just staring at it straight on and in, in, in that kind of the way they move through physical space the hit that frank has to uh commit on that guy i'm gonna forget his name but whispers yeah is that the one who's in the, the restaurant first? yeah no, 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 or, no, no! Sorry, the one who's in the restaurant oh, with sorry. his family, jo- Joey Gallo. Yes, him. Mm-hmm. That is one of the worst hits ever. When it's actually lined up for him, I mean, he's doing it in public, so obviously I'm not. It's not that I don't. I don't buy it as far as like how could he, like, do it that botched, whatever. But like he has the drop on him. All he had to pretty much do was walk up behind him and take it out and whatever. But he can't. I'm just saying, like, the way it's staged, it is in no way this kind of, you know, uh, lay Samara, uh, you know, suave gangster move of just coming up to the table, pulling out the Tommy gun, doing that, or even, you know, just one tap, whatever, to the side of the head. It's like he comes in, he zigzags to the bar, he turns around, he starts to approach him, then he's taking out his gun. By that point, he does shoot him, but he somehow doesn't shoot him in the brain, and then it's a firefight, you know, through the restaurant. It was a firefight! A lot is happening in a really short amount of time there. Oh, I agree, but Um, I'm saying this is how they carry out their business. No,
3: it's true. Although, um, there is a line of dialogue, and he actually does... First have to disable the bodyguard, but he can't kill him because he then the isn't the person who he's right, contracted right. to go take care of. Yeah. So he's got to disable him, but not kill him, and at the same time then kill him. And all this is happening oh, in yeah. a matter of four seconds. No, and, in the yeah.
0: scene and, yeah. and the explanation. I there, gotcha. It's like it's believable in his you know, sure. whatever. Um, but it's a far cry from the suit wearing, you know, just kind of. I don't know.
3: But it feels more real. I mean, it does. You you look at, like, when.
0: um, I feel like this is the work of a guy, Scorsetti, I mean, uh, in his 70s, maybe slightly more mature and less enamored by. The look?
3: Yeah. I was going to say, though, the one that I always go back to um, is when. Uh, it's a great scene, but when Joe Pesci takes out a very early performance by Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Goodfellas, uh, and it's really the when they start to take care of all the people who are part of the Lufthansa heist, because uh, Robert De Niro is very paranoid that they're going to talk, um, but that scene is just like slow motion, like you see everything with the gun, happening and you hear like the slow motion sound of the gun going off like he is clearly trying to like give you this pornographic look of somebody murdering another human yeah. being how so, about yeah, the, I'm, I'm, I'm with you yeah and
0: how about the scene in casino where uh, it's not a death but uh when uh de niro grabs the cheater you know and brings him to the vice like like, that is, like, I get to just kind of stand here, look super cool while my cronies do this shit. and You don't fuck around in here. Yeah, you know, like, it is mm-hmm. a commanding presence, whereas mm-hmm. Frank is never a person who will have a commanding... Because uh, he doesn't have command. No, he doesn't. And, that's what, and I think his hits are an extension of that. Yeah. He's I would, just trying to hold on to it. <laughs> I would agree.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, we hit on a little bit, but something we we'll definitely should mention on is actually is the de-aging worthwhile here? Is it going to be used more frequently going forward? I feel like at least from what I've seen this is for sure the most extensive I've seen this used in the entirety of a film. I mean we've had a lot of films that have done specific scenes um, and some of them better than others uh, but this film is extensive in the use of it and some of it is not as aggressive as other parts but is it any good here? I think it's not too bad, even
0: if some of it's not as good as uh, the rest.
1: The World War Two thing yeah. was sort of uh, f-
0: that was singled out in a trailer uh, for good reason. Yeah, uh,
1: it doesn't look good. I mean, I think that it it grows on me in other sort of like situations. Maybe it has. I, I think that has a lot to do with like the lighting of each respective scene. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like with an outdoor scene with uh, if Robert De Niro's character just in sunlight. Looked, in sunlight, yeah, and looked really, really kind of uncanny. Versus like when it's like around like a very dim dinner table, candle lit, with candle lit and stuff like that's yeah. that warmer lighting. I feel like does it more. Kind it kind of like does Jeff Bridges yeah.
0: in Tron Legacy.
1: I think that. Uh, the Most people cite that as, like, the worst ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, you know, back then, like, what else did we have? I was going to say, the fuck else like, did we have? I
0: was blown away by it because it was really the first-ish time that it was mainstream. Right. And it was in a very dark scene. So the idea – I'm sorry, but I probably don't have a problem – as big of a problem with that as I do like a Grand Moff Tarkin walking around mm-hmm. when we have the better technology. Yeah, that States. was that
1: was weird. Not I have to mention <laughs> it's
0: about a computer program, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. that
1: whole uh, Grand Moff Tarkin thing sort of irks me for other reasons oh, adjacent well. to even the uh, the, yeah. the use of the technology, just the fact that this – this actor is dead, and now you're just resurrecting them oh, well, the, uh, other motion capture and some other fucked-up shit. We've blown past that question. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's fucked, James but is P. it happening? P. Yeah, it's happening. Uh,
0: my two cents on the de-aging is that, as someone who's always been very aghast by it in a lot of examples, it definitely worked for me here. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, at its worst, it was distracting, and at its best, it was very good. Um, but I never, I will admit... Throughout the entire picture, I never got the sense that it was necessary when you could have casted another person. Like, the fact that we're moving away from just, I would say, classical standard movie making. Like, how do you show the passage of time? Well, you can cast a younger person who can be made to look like... I never got that that was wholeheartedly necessary to capture, quote-unquote, the totality of Frank because until I can't perceive the difference, I'm much more in the camp of I'd rather have a realistic performance, which is not the actor's fault, but, you know, something that... It's in with what's happening, like the reality of a situation. you know. And this comes in from the same – this movie is not as good, so I'm not bringing this up Mm quality-wise. But this comes in the same year where I was kind of reminded of the power of what casting can do when, for example, in Dr. Sleep, instead of trying to digitally create uh, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Flanagan in that movie casted two different people and made them to look like them. And that's all it took for me to kind of, like, lose my breath the moment they first showed up and go, oh, man, that's pretty good, and, you know, whatever, and Mm -hmm. then go with it. Whereas de-aging, the technology is almost the opposite. It almost, like, it takes you a while to warm up to it, and then you're in that groove, and you're never going to not notice it, but whatever. But I'm still, maybe I'm old-fashioned, and I'm get off my lawn, but it's still not to the point where I think it's actually better than just old-fashioned, like, How do you approach this? Well, we can just solve it in post. I I don't think solve it in post is something that should be an approach to things that are fundamental. And in this case, it is because it's showing a passage of time and it's uh, a foundational background for a character that we have to get to know and whatnot.
3: So two things. Uh, The first being that um, this idea that we don't really need to focus on the true talent of makeup and camera and lighting that's crazy because it's sort of like the
0: that's um, a real slap in the face well well i'm just saying to people who do their job no well. uh, uh,
3: the the sort of idea of and this is a little bit concerning just because we've seen in the early days of cgi just for effects in film where it was married together with physical effects and if it was done well it could be fantastic uh now many films just choose to shoot in a green screen and just add everything in later and it is terrible um so i'm a little concerned about exactly what you were saying is that a you could do really good work with makeup and other sort of physical things and to this this sort of idea and this is something that scorsese said that i was really kind of surprised that he if said... You're about to
0: say what I'm... think I'm in total agreement, so say what okay. you're going to say. So
3: what I was going to say... Because
0: really quick, before you say it, I'm not saying it, okay. but to give context and to say, we watched the random bonus feature yeah. that basically auto-plays after the feature yeah. in which a conversation between him and the yeah. three actors... But
3: Scorsese has said, and I was, again, surprised to hear this, that we've made it and we can now mm. show... CGI, and we can de-age people. We've done it, and yep. so there's really no need to go back. Hearing that from him is kind of disturbing.
0: Especially for someone who's, quote-unquote, against theme park rides. Well... I'm just saying, like... Yeah, but... Um, you're kind of giving in to the same bullshit that where you think that money can basically buy... He's, he's
3: giving it to because it makes his argument, yes. which is really concerning, because... Yeah. I had a little, I just a
0: little bit less respect for him after I heard him say that, because it actually came from his mouth. Okay. I actually had a different okay. quote from that same bonus feature thing, yeah. but the same feeling that I think you may have, where I was just, like, slightly disappointed, <laughs> mm-hmm. where when he was talking to the three actors and they're talking about the de-aging process, he literally, for, like, 60 seconds, goes on this random tangent where he admits... That during the filming of some of the scenes when they had to be younger versus when they're that like, oh, yeah, you know, what, what was so fascinating to me is that uh, some of the acting that was done, you know, you, one of you gets up from a chair and uh, and and this guy uh, to the left of me, he stops and he says hey, you know, he's supposed to be 20 years younger. He can't get up that fast. And, and it's like it's unbelievable, you know, like what you have to think about. And they're all going, yeah, I know. Right. And so I, I go up to him and I say, hey, you can't get out of the chair that whatever.
2: Yeah.
0: It blows my mind. <laughs> that a director as good as Martin Scorsese Mm -hmm. and actors as good as all three of those guys are all in agreement that that is somehow not embarrassing to admit in public (laughs) that basically they don't know how to act, which is not true literally, but that is de-aging in a nutshell. You are thinking that the technology is somehow doing the work for you and therefore you get lazy in your performance. And I think a person who is actually inhabiting their character because they are physically embodying it will never make that mistake if they're a good actor. But the fact that Al Pacino should have to keep track, not should have to, but has to be told, oh, you're 20 years older, so, you know, or 20 years younger, so get get out of that chair faster. Like, that is such a weird... They were, like, clapping themselves on the back when I was like, no, 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 no. You are staring in the face of what you think is progress, but is actually two
3: steps back. There's another thing, and you're... already pointed this thread uh, that I was thinking about when you were mentioning um, just the look of hits in this film, which does look like an old person pulling off, but it's because we have 75-year-old Robert De Niro playing 30-year-old
0: Robert De Niro. That was one of those things. Yeah,
3: it looks like his face, kind of, but he still walks like a
0: 75-year-old man. That was, like, thematically where I was like, this is so weirdly anachronistic, but I yeah. think it works mm-hmm. for the piece this and, the, and the mood, you know. So I absolutely, though, thought that that was kind of a sign of, like... Which is another reason why de-aging is stupid. Like, yeah. it's not so much, like... It, once again, it's the it's the idea of necessity. Because these characters have to exist in those young scenes for hours, you know... What's the point then? Maybe they shouldn't have been casted. Maybe you should have casted a young print. Now I know why they were casted, and I'm glad they were casted. I mean, that's what we all wanted. Mm-hmm. But at the at a certain point, is are you servicing art, or is art servicing you know your shit? And it's just it's just yeah. stupid.
3: I, I'm 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 interested because I feel like this film at least creates the debate about it. And actually, this is legitimately worthy of saying this isn't just some hack job garbage It's like, oh, they tried to do this full film deaging and it looks like trash. Like it actually does look pretty good most of the time. Yeah. Um but yes, there are a lot of little things that um are just slipping between the cracks that don't seem to be even considered. Um we just mentioned them right there. Uh do we want to go to final thoughts? Does anybody have anything else uh, we want to no, discuss as I can a group? Do final thoughts?
2: I'm good with final.
3: Are you good with final? I think I am. I may have a few more things. I mean, yeah, we don't have tangents. Yep. So, but um, I'll let
1: you guys go first and I'll end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have a lot to say Um, that hasn't already been said, but I do want to say that this was a really awesome viewing experience. I think that it's a masterful film. I think that I really enjoyed a lot of the performances. I enjoyed the humor. The writing was incredible. Um and for you know it as as long as it did feel at times of like watching it, like I don't feel like there was any there's no slack here. I don't think that there's any slack in this film where it's just like, oh, you could just easily cut out this part and it would just like flow so much better. It's like no, I feel like it definitely earns its runtime, and I think that it it's it's it certainly builds and like I feel like there are there are three distinct acts that are separated between like those those initial hours and so like when you're at the two hour mark like you really do feel like you're entering into like the sort of end phase of just like okay this this can't last forever. Like we have to we have to move on. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I would give this a four and a half out of five. Mm. I really liked it a lot.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I very much enjoyed this. I think um With regards to his crime films, or I should say his mob films, that I like this more than I like Goodfellas and Casinos. Mm -hmm. I like it not, but almost as much as I like Mean Streets. That's probably still my favorite, because that's just very personally up my alley Mm -hmm. with the era I came out and whatnot. Um but I find the four of those films interesting uh, almost as like a passage of time and a chronological because you have Mean Streets in which you have these uh, little band of criminals who never quite make it in. You know, like they're just trying to be like their idols and whatever. And in fact, that's why I kind of consider them the most sympathetic out of all four movies because they're never like bad enough to even be in with the rest of them, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then you have his, what I would say, middle section where you get the complete rise and fall. It's the people who get in, get to the top, have the weight on their you know shoulders, and then suffer below it, or beneath it, and, and crash and burn, and it's whatever. And then at the other end of it, you now have the final say in it, where what happens if you get in and you don't truly like fall off the cliff? you just have no like you see it through all yeah, you see it end. through, and yeah. is there an ending there and I think the hollow answer is there's not you know, so it's almost a better to have a rise and fall story because at least <laughs> then you're gonna be put out of your misery, but um here you you're left with a lot more kind of spiritual questions. And I did kind of like that it was harkening back to, uh, his Catholic guilt days of like mean streets and whatnot, because there were, it's not quite on that level, obviously, but there were certainly some pointed conversations about, you know, uh, God and what his place is in, especially the way he very much takes up religion, uh, in his older years oh, yeah. when he's talking to, and I love that. Like we, we get only a hint of that throughout the whole movie. And then the moment he's got, nobody is he's a believer. And then I saw her face and, and yeah. I, I love that he is, you know, enamored with the priest, uh, because he's the only person that will talk to him. And that's technically his job. <laughs> um, yeah, and nice. that is a sad, sad state mm-hmm. of affairs. So, yeah. um, I, I, it's definitely the gangster movie, the mob movie uh, that he's made since like Mean Streets. That. I'll be thinking about the most Mm. post viewing and it's the one I want to rewatch the most. I'm between two ratings and I'm gonna be charitable and give it a four out of five Mm. for myself. In that I don't really think it does anything wrong. These are never gonna be my all time favorite kind of movies, so there's like a ceiling as to how much I'm enjoying it at any given moment. But basically this is like as good as cinema gets, you know, even if it's not my personal favorite. Mm. Anything whatever. So four out of five for me and I'm just so glad that all these boys were able to get back together and pitch in. The band got back together again for one last rodeo. And I will say I'm genuinely impressed by Al Pacino here. I mean, I'm impressed by just about everybody in the movie, Joe Pesci especially, Mm. but I can't believe that Al Pacino gave one of his... maybe final, like, hooah! Al Pacino performances that is still stacked with pathos that he hasn't delivered in a long time. Mm. So, if anything, all that uh, stuff was, I thought, great use of affectations and kind of posturing because he has to be this very weird public figure and the way it bled into his private life, so...
3: Uh, So, um, just to go off of what you were just referring to of uh, Frank in his later years, uh, when he's at pretty much the assisted living center, whatever you want to call it, uh, and he's being helped by the nurse, and he's looking through his old photos, and she asks who that is with his daughter, and he says, you don't know who that is? That's Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, First of all, I love that he's blown away that she doesn't know who Jimmy Hoffa is, and it totally makes sense. Oh, yeah. But um this idea of shaming younger people that not knowing mm. is somewhat comes full circle as he does not know who russell is early on in the very beginning of the film and he kind of gives him that look as oh okay we we'll see like just assuming that he's gonna be like oh yes sir mm. thank you for helping with my car sir and he's just like oh thanks I'm, you probably own the gas station like i, I don't know oh, i just yeah. thought that was a very interesting parallel especially yeah. cuz it's the very beginning and very end of I did the not film think about
0: that but yeah. that is very true the passage
1: of
3: generations
0: well but, oh, but yeah.
1: really
3: just repeating itself again because oh, yeah. uh, some people just like why would you know that who this old white man is well, like
0: I, <laughs> not only that too and uh, not to truncate it from the great uh, parallel between the beginning and that ending moment mm-hmm. but taking that ending one aside too the that's also just a kind of a gut punch because he's directly responsible for that like her not knowing because yeah. the disappearance you know like maybe Jimmy Hoffa would have went on to have a slightly even more prolific life who knows or whatever yeah. but I just think he's er, there's some very uncomfortable guilt in the way he's tied up to the fact that nobody well, knows who Jimmy I Hoffa mean, is nowadays who wasn't alive during There's
3: it. only one thing that anybody knows about Jimmy Hoffa, and that's right. that he disappeared. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think, he she doesn't she even say something like, oh, yeah, that's the guy, doesn't? Yeah. Yeah, so, and I think that ties into it, too, so. Yeah.
3: Uh, I do also love the detail that his car, which ultimately leads to his undoing because he, accepted it with pain less than it was worth so it was some sort of bribe and that's why he ended up going to jail uh his car has a have you seen jimmy hoffa bumper sticker on it uh which is very fucked up as he's <laughs> yeah. he mur- murdered him yeah. so um circling back i very much love this um on a second viewing i could very much see myself giving this a perfect rating i'm gonna give it four and a half out of five first pass through just because i think that there are some small aspects of this that aren't perfect um the aging being part of it but i can see myself getting past that to give this an even higher rating down the road um i'm just so excited that this film happened um you know i, I feel like you know this is how i feel like who Sot would have felt if somebody made a really good Ghost in the Shell film. Oh my God, yes. Or somebody made Akira and it was actually really
1: good. Jesus wept. I would Oh yeah. my God!
0: Please stop this,
1: Alex. <laughs> well, okay, but oh my God! Here, Mariah directing an Acura film and it's being fucking awesome. Oh my God, Alex! But was... oh, okay. Shit. I've done this to myself. Alex. I've done this to myself. But I, I will wanna, say, I want to live in that reality. Yeah. I'm glad that you have that, though. I don't yeah, want you to go there too. Yeah. But,
0: but
3: yeah. I love uh Martin Scorsese gangster films. Uh, especially his later films that he made in the nineties. And I'm so excited that he was able to make one later in his career with the same people. And it was actually really good. Uh, It's, you know, it warms my heart. It gets me excited for other things that could potentially happen in cinema, but also like, it'll always be a reflective moment for me looking back and just being so pumped that this really happened. And Again, all these guys are probably going to be dead within the next 15 years. And it would work it. 15. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, well, I mean, it's people mean, live longer now. Charitable. but I, I think that it could be
0: less than that for some of them. Oh, yeah. Harvey Keitel wasn't looking too hot. All the aging in the world could help that. I actually forgot to mention, but I do think Harvey Keitel was the only person where I'm like, maybe somebody else could have been in that role. Oh, yeah. Like, not because he was. Would bad but that definitely felt like stunt casting where the other guys pulled it off where it felt bigger than the event of just having them there because
3: oh they... he's there to have his name on the poster somewhere yeah. Yeah. I, I agree what was he doing
0: like Marlon brando like
3: i don't know he does have the the one scene where they're uh and it is a very pivotal scene but when um frank is told that they know about whispers and he has to Better not fuck around here because yeah. if he lies, he's probably in big trouble. And he just tells the truth, and that is when he really becomes indebted. You can to keep Russell. the money. And I was like, well, I can give it back. No, he's not
1: going to need it. You, uh, can,
3: you can, you can, That was it. the only real Kaitel scene we had, and I actually think
0: he is I pretty mean, good in
3: it. It's a but, good scene, but yeah, um, there just
1: some weird, freaky mm-hmm. moments when
0: he was in the background. Like, eh.
3: yeah, it's just not really. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, another thing, quickly before I get to my very final thoughts. Um, something that I didn't really know how to feel about. um, And I kind of like it, but I also kind of don't. um, So I'm really not sure. And that is um, something that keeps popping up throughout the entirety of the film. And I guess it goes away a little bit towards the end. Um, But we keep getting the sort of explanation of what happens to these small characters that we don't really hear from. We see them, but don't hear them throughout here. And it'll just be like, was liked by all. Lived to natural yeah, causes. The death. one well, guy. To be fair. That was
0: like the one.
2: Joke.
3: I know, but okay. but then there's then there's all the other ones were obituaries. Yeah, like, yeah. Pretty much like Deaths. shot six yeah. times in the head. Or... Died by a
1: nail bomb.
3: Yeah, yeah, died by a nail bomb. Whoa, boy. Um. So I feel like part of me says that that just feels super lazy. Um. But the other part of me says that these characters were never going to be part of it at all. This is just showing us that every single person that's around them is a bad person who's going to get their comeuppance at some point. I didn't even so. take it
0: as either one of those Whereas yeah. I thought in most of his gangster movies uh, as I kind of talked about earlier about how this one really takes the sexiness out of it I just mm-hmm. thought it was a great way to not even fuck around with any semblance of anybody of these people living a decent life and yeah. or Winning, so to speak. This is so, the
1: natural trajectory of that sort of lifestyle. In that, the the ability to actually like live to die of a of old age is an outlier.
0: Because when you join this club, that's not your goal. But that is the only way you exit. And so I fast. do like the idea that it's basically every time you meet a person, it's they're dead before they can. Even yeah, begin. and that's
3: why I'm definitely conflicted because of my first initial reading of it was this is kind of dumb um but i as i went back and saw it again i'm like you know what this actually works so okay cool i love this film um joe pesci and al pacino are delivering really really high level performances here um i really did like the loudness of al pacino's performance i was admittedly a little disappointed that there wasn't an opportunity for a vintage Joe Pesci moment, but I'm willing to accept that it was purposeful for why he played the role the way he was. So I'm good with that. He does have one moment where he refers to somebody um, poorly. Um, and I will say I like had to grab that little tiny grasp of actual real Joe Pesci and be like, oh, this is it. Um, so I love this movie. I thought it was very good. And I'm I'm just so excited that this is actually a thing and we'll see what Martin Scorsese does next. I know he's got all these different projects with potentially Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro and Devil in the White City he's possibly gonna be involved in. So we'll see where he goes from here, but um I don't I don't think there's anywhere to go higher for him at this point. This is if this is probably the peak of this part of his life. And um, I'm just excited that it is as good as it is. So four and a half out of five for me for the Irishman
1: till he ends up in a Marvel film.
3: Probably not. We'll see. I would guess that they're not going to be working together. We'll see.
0: We'll
3: see. <laughs> uh, so, if you have any thoughts on The Irishman uh, or I Heard You Paint Houses, whichever title you want. Oh, to to I forgot play. to
0: mention that in my final thoughts. Uh, the Irishman is still a very stupid title, yeah. and it should have been called I Heard You Paint Houses. I mean, it's even still in
1: the yeah. titles of the
0: film. So that's why. So I much so
1: we thought it was a chapter heading. <laughs>
0: I had read about it, so I kind of knew that was coming. Yeah. But yeah. I, it, it's just a much more evocative title, and the phrase in the body of the t- work itself is great and wonderfully utilized. It's well, when it gets
3: it's, its Criterion release, maybe it'll have its r- real title.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
3: We'll see. Anyways, if you out there have any thoughts on this film, whatever you want to call it, always feel free to send them on to us at FilmTankShow at gmail.com. Or you can hook up with us, hook up with us on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, hook up at with film, us. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, boy. Hello. At Film Tank Show. Um, and you can also find this and all of our episodes on FilmTankShow.com. Or also on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or a host of other places as well. Coming up on episode 211, uh, our friend Sam will be back as we are going to talk about another new release, which is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Uh, definitely a film that I was interested in. Uh, the reviews have been pretty positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what everybody thinks. Yeah, coming up on our next episode. So from myself, Alex Diekman, also Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan, thank you very much to everyone for listening to us here at Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time.
0: Ayy.
2: Ayy. Ayy. Ayy.